has been an awakening. Have you felt it? We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. there and welcome to our very first episode of Jawa Jabber. My name is Dennis. Thank you to everyone for tuning in today on Utini Radio. And joining me on the show is my best friend and co-host, the other half of the dyad, David. How's it going, man? <laughs> it is going good. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I like that. The forced dyad. That would be us. Yes. Yeah. So this is finally our long-awaited episode. I think we've been Oh, I'm mulling this over in our heads for a couple of months now. I was going to say, I mean, we've been dancing around it for a little while, but like as far as actual planning, I would say it was a little bit after Christmas. And, you know, so we're about a month afterwards. So it's not too bad. No, no, not too bad. You know, we, we've got our professional recording equipment. So I think I'm just going to let everyone know that so the podcast is going to go in certain directions but as of right now we're just starting out so don't drag us too much so in this one we're going to start out with the rise of skywalker one month later since it was premiered on the 20th of december and so 
We're just going to talk about our reactions, our thoughts, our opinions. I thought maybe we would talk about what stood out, maybe what didn't work for us. I think I have some mixed feelings in some areas. So, But disclaimer, we still love the movie because we love Star Wars. Yes, exactly. So for that, a bit of a disclaimer, I think for everyone to know that these are just our opinions and uh, your opinions and thoughts are just as valid as ours. So when it comes to if you liked certain parts that we don't like or you focused on others, you know, that's that's everybody's subjective uh, opinions when it comes to that. And I don't think one person maybe has more leeway or say than the other. So hopefully we don't say anything that might ruin the movie in certain aspects, but we're not going to try to go down that negative rabbit hole too much. No, exactly. Because we're both fans. And part of the reason I think we wanted to do this podcast was because there is a lot of negativity out there right now with the franchise as a whole and particularly the rise of Skywalker. So, you know, we were talking about like, you know, we were just chit chatting about all the podcasts and the people that don't like the movie and, you know, how, like, how can they say they're fans and yada, yada, yada. And so we were like, Hey, we should have our own podcast. And that's kind of how this came about. Exactly. Exactly. And um, there's so many out there that, uh, if anyone's listening to this right now, I can definitely say that I had initial reservations about starting a podcast just because there's so many that it feels almost overwhelming and like you think, uh, how could this ever get off the ground? But then you kind of take a step back and just kind of think about whether it's something you want to do for fun and don't go into it thinking about money. If that comes along, that's great. But if you're doing it for fun and if you don't start it at all ever, then you never know what it could turn into. So Something to kind of think about if you're ever considering starting one, don't be kind of overwhelmed by the amount of ones that are out there because they're, they're great, but they all started at some point and they've, they've gotten to the point of where they are because of them continuing to make it better along the way. So let's dive into the beginning and I think it would be good for us to talk about our theater experiences first off. Commence primary ignition. So you go ahead first. Since you saw it twice on opening night, why don't you start? Okay. Um, I think we both saw it in the fan opening night event at 5 p.m. That is correct, yes. And so that was the... I thought it was a little bit disappointing that it was at an AMC, but it was in the regular digital cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't have an IMAX or any... I mean, like, so I went, I went to a Regal, and they had... Like the IMAX was at like 640 or something. So like it wasn't even at six o'clock when the movie was supposed to start. Like the IMAX or anything else was not until like 640. So even if you didn't do the fan event, the first show that you could go to was still like a regular digital whatever. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt a little bit disappointed in that it wasn't like a big grand event for, you know, early fans, but you know, I got over it. So that was my first thing. I think, like I said, it was the same for us when it comes to that experience. But my personal experience in the theater was, I wouldn't say it was, it was a negative one, but there were some folks in there that I kind of felt, and I, I guess I kind of feel bad about thinking this, but they seemed to be a little disappointed in some of the things or they were very loud and checking their phones frequently. And I'm thinking, if you're going to do that, I, I don't understand why you would come to the early fan event. I mean, just go at any other time a showing is on. 
so it did kind of color my experience of the initial viewing of the film right because of that and so i i didn't like those parts of it and and i might get into in particular what certain things were said that i didn't like but overall i think after the film ended when it comes to past films that i've seen uh star wars films specifically it was a very different feeling um yes. for for the audience i think it was very quiet in my theater mm-hmm. there wasn't applause there wasn't any cheering it was just kind of like i said not negative but just very odd was did you have that kind of feeling well i can't say i had the exact same experience as that there was cheering um there was the the long time ago in a galaxy far far away and when the bit like people were cheering um and then it got quiet. I know I was one of the only people that reacted in the opening with Kylo Ren. I was just excited that it started with Kylo Ren. And like that scene that they had released on Facebook like three days earlier, I couldn't believe like I nudged my good friend Sean and I was like, dude, they just released this and it's the first minute of the movie. Mm-hmm. So like I felt like I was a little more participating in the movie than some others. But then by the time the movie got going, there was more cheers and there was more shocking and there was more like whatever. And I had the opposite reaction. Like there was nobody on their phone in my theater. There was I mean, there was silence. There was, you know, crying. There was this there was there there, there was a lot of good people in that screening. So um, I, I have to say that um, I had a good time with that the only thing that hindered i don't know if that's even the right word but like the thing that stood out to me most in the first initial viewing was the pacing and just how fast it was and i couldn't catch my breath and that was a big like i almost didn't know how to feel because there was so much going on Mm -hmm. and that i just i remember that specifically but no like as far as the people there um I was just upset with the Regal themselves because I couldn't get my popcorn bucket until six o'clock and my movie was at five. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah, that was that angered me. My initial experience, like I mentioned before, was about the people around me kind of ruined it. And I know you can't really get away from that because it's a movie theater and you have to deal with people being obnoxious, even if they're fans. But my second viewing, when I saw it with my wife in IMAX, 3d that was i felt like it was a lot better because the noise and the sound was so Mm -hmm. loud that it drowned out any kind of noises that i didn't like around me and so it was much better i think which again i'm a little disappointed and that wasn't my early fan event the first time i saw it but it's okay yeah um it was it was good i got my poster which was great which poster was that it was the one where you can kind of see kylo's hair with the mask half of the mask Oh, the one I bought on eBay. Okay, yes. Yes, yes. And so I um, I enjoyed my second viewing, I think, more than my first one, if we're just talking about our theater experiences. Right. See, I kind of I feel the same way, because my second one was in Dolby, so, like, the sound was better, and, like, it was just... It wasn't as crowded, even though it was, like, about... 16 hours later but there was a bunch of people there was definitely more cheering okay the second showing and then i got my popcorn bucket my r2d2 popcorn bucket so that made me happy personally i think i got mine at i got mine at amc actually you did Mm -hmm. you you did 
Yeah, because you, you, you had it for your first showing because you sent me the picture. That's right. A lot of people were going, that's really cool. Where'd you get that? And then I told them the price and they were like, oh, maybe not. Did I tell you the um, so when I walked up to the AMC, I like even though I ordered my tickets online, I like to print the tickets and there was no one in line at the um, theater window. So I gave them my credit card and asked them to print my tickets. And she looked at me like I had five heads. And then so she printed them for me. I saw that they had the R2 bucket behind the count like it wasn't the snack counter. It was the actual like ticket counter. And they had it. So I was like, oh, I'm like, are they for sale? And she looks at me. She's like, uh-huh. I'm like, can I have one? She's like, do you know how much it is? I said, uh-huh. I said, I, I, I want it. And she's like, okay. She's like, here you go. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah, these days it's kind of, to me, like, yeah, it costs a lot of money. But honestly, it's not like I'm doing this every month. So it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that I'm buying. Or once every couple of years. Or, yeah. Next thing I think would be good for us to talk about would be instead of going from one scene to the next, because we obviously don't have that yet, we'll do that in the future podcast. Oh, that'll be our commentary. Yes. I remember, we're going to do the commentary on the day that the Blu-ray comes out. All right, so let's jump into our top five moments of The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I'm going to have you go first, and then we can bounce off of each other if we have something similar, because I'm sure we do. Okay, sure. All right, so as I told you last night on our conference call before this podcast, I cannot count. I did not go to the Imperial Academy and take any math classes. So when we discussed having top five moments, I actually wrote down six. So I am sorry, but I have six. All right. So I kind of started to go in order of the movie and then I just lost it. My first top five moment would be the whole opening, like leading to Palpatine. I know it was a little short and we've discussed this at length and I'm sure we will at some other point, but like just the whole vibe of the opening with Kylo um, on Mustafar and then finding the Wayfinder and then going to Palpatine. I enjoyed how it almost looked like a horror movie. It, it looked a little different to me than other Star Wars movies, especially when Palpatine is revealed. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Just the angle that they shot him at and like the lightning. Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I just I thought it was really cool. And I thought that was a really awesome way to open the movie. Yeah, the, the visual aspects of this film are phenomenal. That's for sure. I don't have any any real gripes with that. I think he did a fantastic job with the actual filming. But I think the credit goes where credit is due. I think Lucasfilm and the post-ed did a great job with that as well. Oh, absolutely. It looked great. And so I don't think I have anything that I didn't like unless we get to something and I forgot about it. That when it comes to the actual visual aspects of the film, I think they were fantastic. The number two that I have for my top five moments is the whole Kajini force connection fight with like Ray in Kylo's quarters mm -hmm. and Kylo was down on Kajimi. Mm -hmm. Just that whole, I've seen the movie four times now and it's still like one of my top scenes. Um, I just thought it was shot beautifully. It was edited beautifully. Even though Kylo is behind that mask, you can still kind of sense the emotion that's going on in that scene. 
And of course, Daisy Ridley knocking it out of the park. Yeah, the choreography of that fight. I just I love it. I just like I said, every time I just I really enjoy that scene. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I, for whatever reason, uh, even though I've seen the film six times, I did forget to include that in one of my top fives. Really? Okay. Yeah, I did really enjoy that. I enjoyed the whole aspect of the force bond happening there. I wanted to see more of the acting that Adam Driver can do with facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it was it was cool to see that helmet again. But it, and, and I don't mean to, to go into your your top five too early, but no, you're fine. The the reforging of his helmet, I thought, was very quick. And they did not quite explain it in the film no. as to why. Why is he putting this back? You know, it's kind of an inference that, that you're supposed to kind of figure out as, a, as an audience member. But I think that might have been a little a little difficult for people who aren't, you know, diving into supplemental materials to understand. Like us. Yeah, like us. So like a normal audience, even say like my wife who loves the movies, doesn't really get the the explanation of why he's going back to putting this helmet on. Why is he reforging it? But so I thought that might have been a little bit of a missed opportunity to kind of just add a few more lines or add a little bit more of the scenes that they cut for the reforging of it that, hey, this is the reason why he's doing it. Uh, it just, it, it seemed a little bit like it was rushed in that instance and we didn't actually see him put it on which we did in one of the tv spots which i was excited for right and then yes i remember you saying that you were very excited for yeah that. it just did the wipe to the next scene and i was like oh okay i guess we're not seeing him put it on but anyway so what's uh what's your next top moment so i have the han solo scene of course yeah and literally all I wrote down was Han Solo scene. Oh my God, it gets me every time. Which is true. Because like, I guess I wasn't expecting him to be back. Like I wanted him to be back, whether it be like a flashback uh, or something. But I really, for some reason, I was not expecting it. So when it happened, I was just really happy about it. And then the fact that it led to, you know, it, it, it kind of kickstarted the whole Ben Demption thing and it was definitely a big part of the Ben Demption and just the fact that it mirrored his death scene in The Force Awakens was just it's like poetry it rhymes exactly thank you George so yeah like it just you know it it totally harkened back to The Force Awakens and like the fact that they were like standing in a similar spot and it just I just thought the whole thing was like that whole part was beautiful both Harrison and Adam just knocked it out of the park and it was amazing I I agree so the question that I have is I've seen a lot of this online and there's uh, I guess different points of view as to how that even was possible because at that moment that's when we see Leia kind of lie down with Han's medal, and then she kind of is able mm-hmm. to connect with her son. Right. So there's different points of view as to how or what was going on in that scene, because there was a lot that happened, like bam, 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 right in that scene when they were fighting mm-hmm. on the, the wreckage or the Death Star. Like, what, what did you take away from the scene as to how in the world is Han there? Well... I just kind of, I don't know, I just took it as he was having like a crisis of faith and the memory of his father was talking to him. Like, I didn't think he was a force ghost or anything. Right. Like, you know, obviously, because Han wasn't a Jedi and, you know, whatever. But I just, I, like, I think it was just like sometimes I, I think Bull just 
need to talk to someone and if they're not in front of them they can kind of just manifest it you know Mm kind of that whole like maybe leia played a part in that yes yeah that's what i think happened in that i i think she may have used something similar to what luke did in the last jedi but using ben's own memories as well as what she wanted to communicate at the same time i am convinced that if carrie fisher was still alive and with us that they would have used her in that scene instead of harrison ford oh absolutely 100 percent. but then see that we lost that wonderful scene so i kind of that's true i'm happy with, with this like may, maybe they both could have been in that scene somehow you know potentially yeah now we're now we're just diving into things that could have been overall i think that scene was was one of the most powerful oh absolutely i guess it gets me every time i've seen it four times and I know every time I watch, just like Han's death in The Force Awakens, it gets me every time. Like, it's just so brutal. And the ignition sound and Chewie's scream and stuff, like, it just, it gets me every time. And I feel like this one, in a different way, but will also get me every time. For me, I think this one got me more than The Force Awakens scene. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. Because we have that history of what happened. I think that like you've mentioned, that Adam Driver did a just a fantastic job with the, the emotions and, and everything happening in that scene to kind of pull at the audience's heartstrings. And that's the other thing with that scene. There's not a lot of music in it. Like, it's pretty much just Harrison and Adam and the fact that they do that. Like, there's a lot of emotional scenes in Star Wars, and I would say 98% of them have equally as emotional music thanks to john williams behind it and this is one of those that doesn't have a lot of music but i think for the better you know like jj just let the emotion Mm -hmm. play and i think that was good yeah and i I also want to add on to since this is one of my top five as well that it oh so what are we two for two now i think so yeah yes but what i meant to say is that i think that the the moment that a lot of people thought was Ben Solo's kind of return to the light was after Ray healed him after stabbing him in the chest with his own lightsaber. I don't think that was a moment yet where he was completely throwing away the persona of Kylo Ren. I think that was a moment where he was more understanding what he had done or what he was doing. And I think when he threw his lightsaber hilt with the scene with Han, I think that's when he became Ben Solo again. Mm-hmm. It was a leading up to moment where he was essentially going to be dead after she after she impaled him with his lightsaber. So it would have been like the death of Kylo Ren was beginning and then it finally was completed after that interaction with his with his father through that memory. I really like that. One thing that I would be remiss if I didn't mention is the parallel between Ben Solo when he is no longer Kylo Ren and has turned back to the light and is now Ben Solo, and the mannerisms and behavior that he displays that is mirroring his father Han Solo. He does this actually once when he has the mask on, when he's still Kylo. And that's when there's the scene where Hux is actually going to ask him if they should destroy the planet of Kijimi entirely, and Kylo puts his finger up to his face in the exact same way that Han Solo does to C-3PO in the original trilogy, kind of to stop him from speaking, and then he just turns away and goes about his business. It is something that 
I immediately saw, but then when I saw a compilation that somebody had did where it's that as well as when he's running to try to save Ray on Exegol, and he doesn't even look back, but he shoots with his blaster one of the Emperor's guards. It's a throwback to what Han did in The Force Awakens, where he doesn't even look behind him, but he shoots a stormtrooper. Then he also does that shrug right before he fights the Knights of Ren. It's the same shrug that Han Solo, his father, did in front of the bunker on Endor in Return of the Jedi. It is just a nice parallel there that I didn't completely see until after the film and other people had been analyzing it. I thought it was just a a very, very beautiful kind of conglomerate of all the different parallels between him and his father. Even after Rey and Ben kiss, the smile, the smile after Leia and Han kiss on Endor and, you know, Ewok, Wicket, he comes in and he's like, hey, and they're all having a fun time. Just all of those parallels made me love Ben Solo even more than I already do. And I thought it was just a wonderful thing. And I thank JJ for doing that. There are some things that I would have changed in this film, as I've mentioned before, but that was definitely something that I love. So yeah, so going on to your next point. Oh, of course, Ben fighting with Anakin's saber. I know it wasn't very long, but just as a longtime Anakin fan and as a Kylo fan slash Ben fan, like I just, that moment was super satisfying to me. Yes, we are three for three then. Oh my God, that's creepy. It is uh, the, yeah, the Ben Solo versus the Knights of Ren. That was a very short scene, like you said, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was quite epic in the way that they did the choreographing, which I also heard was, was very similar, something that JJ pulled from Ryan, that it was similar. Yeah, from Snoke's Guards or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so it was kind of one of those where I, I did enjoy seeing that he was able to actually hold the legacy lightsaber Mm-hmm. which I've been wanting since The Force Awakens. So That lightsaber, it belongs to me. Right, and, and that's an interesting thing that you mentioned that because when he said that, he was saying it as Kylo Ren, right. which is why the lightsaber didn't call to him. It called to Rey because she was the one that was the one that was on the, you know, the light side, essentially, of the Force. And in this case, he is now Ben Solo, and mm-hmm. it's a completely different thing. It's almost like the lightsaber itself has some kind of sentience. Yes that it calls to the individual that is destined to have it at that moment. Right. So I thought that was great. Yeah, that scene was, was really good. The one minor thing that I probably would have changed is when he holds the lightsaber behind his back and we have one of the Knights of Ren, I forgot his name, where he has that big machete-looking blade and he tries to essentially cut Ben and then he blocks it with the lightsaber and does that kind of, like, he almost got cut by it. Yeah. I like that, except that I feel that it took too long for that Knight of Ren to actually swing at him because he puts the lightsaber behind his back, then he leans forward, and there's like a two-second pause, and then finally that blade comes through. It's like, was the Knight of Ren waiting until he did that? Like, you know, it was kind of a a little bit too much pause for me. Well, see, that could have been fixed in editing, too. That's what I'm saying. That's something that I feel could have been made better, but I'm nitpicking here, and I realize that. Still an awesome scene. Still love it. All right, so what's your number four? I thought we're on number five. Can I really not count? Maybe I can't count. I don't know. Whatever your next one is. Yeah, because the opening with Palpatine, Kajimi, Han Solo, Ben Fudge. Yeah, so this is number five. Out of my six top five things. Ben healing Ray. Just the whole when he climbs up out of the thing. And so I wrote this list after my second time seeing the movie. 
And I didn't even notice at the time that John Williams throws in like a little bit of Kylo's theme in that moment, but it's like a softer, it's not as, you know, boombastic because he's good now, but it's the same notes and it's the same, and it just, that added to that scene so much more for me. But yeah, just him crawling up to Rey and like healing her. No, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's clarify. He didn't heal her. What did he do? I don't want to talk about it. Well, I think we should, because it is an epic moment in this film. Fine, he sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself, but I feel like this is one of the many things that could tie into the actual title of the film, because a while back they had different international titles of the film and how it said it in that language. And one of them was interesting for me, particularly because I'm Polish, and the Polish title essentially said The Resurrection of Skywalker. It wasn't the rise. The word rise was not used. That's a separate word in that language. The word resurrection was used, which was further feeding the kind of theories as to what would happen back in April when we first got the actual title. And Luke's going to come back from the dead. It could have been that right. But I think in this scene, particularly, you had Ray was completely dead. Oh, yeah. It was visible to anybody who was paying attention that she was not partially alive. She wasn't passed out. She was dead. She was pale, eyes wide open, dead. And so I think that him using his own life force to pass on to her and kind of sacrifice himself for her brought her back from the dead, which would be a resurrection or a rise of eventually when she takes on the the surname Skywalker. So I think you have that, Mm. but you also have him rising out of the pit that he was thrown down by Palpatine. So you have the rise of the last Skywalker yes. going to resurrect the Skywalker that will continue to live on, at least through the legacy. Not necessarily by bloodline or, or name, but one that she took on herself later in the film. So I think there's multiple ways to see this. And one more, if I can add, I think if you wanted to see it as the rise of Skywalker, meaning kind of not so much a a literal physical rising of any one person in the Skywalker lineage or bloodline, but kind of a more spiritual ascension type of thing. The ascension of Skywalker, where Leia finally joins her twin brother, Luke, in the Force. So there's the rise of Leia, of Ben Solo, Mm. which, you know, seemed to essentially transition into the Cosmic Force at the same time as his mother did. So you had the rise of Skywalker in that they ascended to a higher plane of existence as Force users going into the Cosmic Force now and being together. That with the rise of the legacy of the Skywalker lineage at the end and them kind of giving Rey the blessing to continue on with that legend, the legacy living on forever. So I don't know if she's necessarily going to continue to call herself a Skywalker, but but that whole thing, I guess we can get into that a little bit later. I, I think it was more of a rejection of her lineage as a Palpatine and her embracing the Skywalker mm. lineage because her so-called almost adopted father was Luke and mother was Leia. So it's kind of one of those things where I felt like right. it was a nice way to tie it all together with what does the title mean? Absolutely. And I really, I'll be 100% honest, I didn't really think of that until just now. and. I like that. It's something to kind of, and I, and I know there's, like I said, multiple ways of viewing this. So 
you can you can take all of that together it's to meaning what the title is or you can take one of them or whatever really feels best for you because i think it's obvious that you and i both have a, a bias towards kylo ren towards towards ben solo anything else well that that was five so i mean that's fair but what's your sixth one that you added in because i couldn't i just okay i loved at the beginning of the movie and then in the cave, I just I loved the interaction between Poe and Finn. Sorry about it. I just like when when he's like sinking in the sand and, you know, he's like, oh, I got to tell you something. Ray. I got to tell you. Something. And then they're like in the cave and Poe's like, what are you going to tell him? And, you know, he's like, don't worry. And like, I don't know, like just the three of them, like their whole banter, I just thought was real. Like when, okay, so when after Poe Lightspeed skips and like, you know, like they land back on, I forget the name of the planet. It is Ajan Kloss. Thank you very much. Yes, my textbook is over on the other side of the room. So thank you for that. But like, you know, Ray has that whole you're you're a difficult man you're a difficult man like so like just just the three of them like you could tell that they were having fun and like i don't know i just i really enjoyed the three of them together which i know we didn't get a lot of in the other two movies so i just thought that was an intro like that that deserved to be on my top five list okay personally i really enjoyed that well, I'm glad you enjoyed it because there's um, – I have a bit of a different take on that. I, I like that they had that banter. I really enjoyed the way that they kind of had more of a real-world kind of – it's not mm – -hmm. it didn't feel like it was a movie. It felt like this is how people would interact in real life when they had issues with each other. Right. But I think what may have colored it a little bit is how – and to be quite honest here, if I only got the scenes between Ray and Kylo or Ray and Ben throughout this film and nothing else, I would have been happy. I did enjoy that we had more of the trio, but this is what I'm getting to, getting to is that we heard a lot of this in the promotional material and all the different things that they had behind the scenes before the movie came out. And they really, really harp on this trio. And they talked about how they were coming back together. And to me, it kind of was like, it made me cringe because they never really were together like the trio were in, in the original trilogy. Right, And so when they started, they started to kind of fix the way that they said that in the marketing and that they were saying that they finally got to see all three of them together instead of saying they were back together. And so because they never really were together. Right. So there's a little bit of a problem there. Well, yeah, the only time they were together was the end of The Last Jedi when they're all on the Falcon. Exactly. And, you know, if you think about it, if you think about the original trilogy... Sorry for the tangent here, but like, look at Empire Strikes Back. The three of them weren't together at all, because when Luke and Leia were together at the end of the movie, Han was in Carbonite. Well, yes, that's true for Empire, but they were at least together in A New Hope, whereas we didn't see that in The Force Awakens. Well, correct. Yeah, it was more it was more Rey and Finn than anything else. Yeah, and so I, I just had a bit of a an issue with them continuing to talk about the trio when I was like, the trio's great, but I, I want to know more about the relationship between Ray and Kylo or Ray and Ben. I think those were kind of maybe secondary characters in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so it was a little bit more of like, it felt a little forced to me. I was just going to ask you if it felt like a little forced or anything. 
A little bit, a little bit. But regardless, this is, again, me nitpicking. It's still um, something that I know a lot of people enjoy. And so I don't mean to rain on their parade, but so I, I do like that they had the scene, one of the last scenes at the end where they kind of saw each other again and they were happy that they were all alive because they were kind of looking for each other, making sure that everyone was back from this big battle. Right. And like you said, the whole interaction between Poe and Finn and between Poe and Ray and Finn and Ray, and I thought it was, I thought it was very well done and it, and it gave some of that humor in moments where we were all kind of on the edge of our seats, like what's going to happen next? Like when they're in the cave and Ray turns on her lightsaber and then Poe tries to turn on the flashlight and it was so funny. If there's anything in in the films I went to go see him in the theater, that was a moment where there were a, a good amount. Of, there's a good amount of laughter from the audience. So yeah, I did enjoy that. But I, I also, and I don't mean to drag on here, but I particularly like the interaction where it was tense too between Poe and Finn when they're on Kefbeer. Oh, when um, you're not Leia or whatever they say. But yeah, that was that was great. Like kudos to both of them. Like I think they did a really because it was a short scene and it can feel I don't know if not earned would be the correct term, but like it could totally, you know, it, it could have totally just fallen by the wayside and not meant a lot. But like that hit me like that was I thought that was good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I liked it because it set up the continuation of Poe's character arc. From The Last Jedi. Not only from The Last Jedi, but in that scene where he says he's not Leia, and then Finn says that's for damn sure, and takes the binoculars from him, is it, it continues on when, when Poe is sort of trying to gain some kind of guidance from, from Leia when she's already passed on and she's lying there under the cover. He's saying, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how, what you did, how I could, you know, it's kind of more of a, I felt it was kind of like a, almost like a prayer because he had his hands folded and he's sitting there and he's kind of like asking for advice or guidance, even though he knows she's not going to like wake up and say it to him. But it's like right. one of those moments where he realizes, no, he's not like Leia, but he, he aspires to be like her. Right. I, I thought that was a really nice way to kind of connect what that what the interaction was between Poe and Finn. And then, of course, after that, Poe actually runs out and talks to Finn, and they both have that little interaction there where they're kind of building each other up. That, that was more of the resolution between what they had as the fight earlier. Right. So that was good. All right, so do you, do you want me to... I would say, I, I think we're on yours, yeah. Okay. This is in no particular order. It's just how I thought of it. So it's not like number one is my favorite. So Kylo's Redemption, Han Solo and Ben. That was, that was what we've talked about already. So the next one, of course, was uh, Ben Solo versus the Knights of Ren. We've spoken about that. Yes. Um, and how awesome that scene was. And there is one here, at least, that you did not mention. But it is one of my favorites where it actually made me so happy and then just destroyed my emotions a few seconds later, and that would be the Raylo kiss. Mm -hmm. I knew something similar to that would be happening, not because of spoilers or leaks, because those weren't in it, actually. It was more of a the kind of the moment. The moment felt like it wasn't forced, it was going to happen, but there was a, a lot of slow pauses in between when he resurrects her and she looks at him and it's kind of like, surprise like wow you're actually here and then she says ben i felt like at that moment it was 
bound to happen, and I was okay with it because I am a self-proclaimed Raylo fan. Yes, it's something that I feel needs to be explained a little bit. In that, I think what JJ did in this moment was, uh, in addition to the moment when she said she wanted to take Ben's hand, that she was attracted to Ben, not to Kylo. The interaction she had with Kylo. I think the differentiation there is important because in in that case, he was more of an antagonistic force against her and could be seen as definitely manipulative and all this stuff. But as Ben, the individual underneath that facade of Kylo Ren, the one that she was attracted to, I feel like that kiss was appropriate. Now, she did it with Kylo. Now, now we're getting into fan fiction and you know the stuff you see on Tumblr, which is fine, but it's not canon. This is canon. And I like that they did it, and it wasn't just like a peck. It wasn't like two seconds and they were done. It was drawn out. It was very long. I believe it was nine or ten seconds long. So I like that part. But then, of course, I also did enjoy that it's the first time we actually see him smile. Ah, oh, the smile. Oh, my God. I don't know why I loved that so much, but I did. Like, it just... You know why? Why? Because this entire time we've seen and known about the mental and emotional turmoil that, that the character of Ben Solo has been going through. And mm -hmm. it's just been an entirely sad thing to witness his character arc. And then we finally see him happy. And then he's happy. He finally gets to be with the person he loves. For 10 seconds. Yes, the caveat that he exerted himself so much to the point of resurrecting her that he can no longer exist in that in that physical form and so i thought that was that was very sad but i understand why that decision was made i know a lot of people are going to be very upset about this for the rest of their lives but i've come to peace knowing and understanding that but anyway so that so that of course was one of my favorites um and later on maybe in a different episode we could i could dive into more of what that really meant or what I think that in my own headcanon, what actually happened at that moment, because while it's sad, it's also, it's kind of like life, you know, things happen that will, will make you happy, but they also have a kind of bittersweet feeling to it because there's something that kind of doesn't make it so great. Well, yeah, but he couldn't have lived for like 10 minutes, not 10 seconds. And so that's, that's one of my gripes is that the only words we ever hear out of Ben Solo on the screen is, ouch when he hits that chant. Yeah. And I like that moment, but I, I wish there was more to the actual, the, the, the speaking of him as Ben Solo. Right. Maybe we'll get that in the future. I'm not holding my breath, but it would be great. Maybe some kind of spin-off series on Disney Plus. Please, 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 please. What kind of rubs me the wrong way here is that We've been hearing so much in the promotional material as well as in the film that Ray and Ben are a dyad in the Force. And a dyad means that one cannot live without the other. They are two sides to the same coin. They are one. I don't understand why the creative decision was made that Palpatine, once he realized that this dyad had finally come to pass after generations of it being hidden, was able to just draw the life force out of them. Obviously, did it, they didn't consent to this. This wasn't something that they were willingly offering to him because that would have been a completely different story. However, I think it would have made a lot more people happy and would have made it much more unique if 
the dyad, the bond that was between Ray and Ben or Kylo before, that that bond was so strong that it was that that eventually destroyed the Emperor once and for all. Not necessarily turning back the lightning on him, and I understand that that's more of a Jedi thing because it's a using only for defense and not for attack strategy. However, I don't really quite understand how that's any different than him dying in any other way or being thrown down a shaft by Darth Vader or by Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi. So my question here is, or I guess my alternative to how I would have done this is that I would have used that dyad that we've been hearing about and that they are so powerful together that they can overwhelm the Emperor and through the Force, through that Force bond that they have, they can completely destroy him once and for all along with the rest of the Jedi helping from the world between worlds or from the the netherworld, if you'd like. I think that would have been a very satisfying conclusion to many instead of it being completely drawn out of them and Palpatine uses it to rejuvenate himself and he is now back to his prime, I guess, as a Sith in Revenge of the Sith. I would have felt that would have made a lot more impact if that dyad was used to destroy him, not to feed him and rejuvenate him. But that's a creative decision And I understand that Chris Terrio and JJ and anybody else that was actually working on this film and was in charge of it, they decided to go a different direction. I'm just expressing my opinions about what I would have liked to have seen instead. What we got is different, and I'm still coming to terms with being at peace with it. However, this is my opinion as to how I would have done it. And actually, continuing on that point as to what I would have done differently... I would have had Ben give Ray his force energy or what he had left of his force life, saving her, and then beginning to die. But then suddenly Leia, his mother's voice, calling from beyond the grave, or when her body disappears eventually. In the film, they disappeared at the same time and were transitioned into the force. But what I would have done is would have her body disappear, and then he takes a breath. So in essence, his mother, Leia, saved his life by imbuing her own for him and then herself transitioning into the forest. I would have thought that would have been a beautiful, beautiful scene. Again, another creative design, I mean, another creative decision that I would have made in that I felt like this would have been more satisfying to me instead of him just passing on at the same time that she did. If he took a breath in because he was on the verge of actually passing on and it was her last way of saving him out of love for her son as him continuing to live on with Ray together as a dyad, I think that would have been just phenomenal. But that's just me. But okay, so my next moment that I really enjoyed and it's kind of a conglomerate of two of them because they happened in the same span of time is the the scene that we got to see a short glimpse of for the teaser trailer and is when Ray jumps over the TIE fighter. The TIE modified whisper, technically, is what it is. So that was my one of my favorites because I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I did enjoy like just the way that it was filmed and the way that it was put together was just really well done. And then, of course, following that, that tug-of-war scene with the prisoner transport that everybody thought Chewie was on, Oh, oh my God. Talk about ripping out my heart. Yeah, I really like the scene, though, because I like the whole aspect of both of them being 
powerful in the force and both of them being, you know, two sides of the same coin, but the sound and the way that they made when, when they're reaching out their, their, their hands and it's focusing on just the way that they made kind of what the force could sound like. I love that aspect. Oh, absolutely. And it was just, I was on the edge of my seat. And even like the second, third and fourth time when I knew what was going to happen, like it's still just the way it's shot. It's very suspenseful. Some people say it was a cheap move. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it either. And it's funny because as soon as... So I don't know what it is about my brain, but like as soon as she shot the lightning out, I was like, oh crap, she's a pal. Well, I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan, that's immediately what your mind goes to. Okay. My next favorite, I guess my last one, is the, uh, the lightsaber fight on top of the wreckage. I thought that was... Uh, really cool and a lot of the the sounds that they made you focus on when it comes to the actual lightsabers because there wasn't a lot of music which we've talked about before yes it made you really kind of on the edge of your seat because it it felt like you were there because there wouldn't be music if you were there you know well right and that's something i like i i think i told you this i didn't notice that opening night i noticed it like the second and third time i was like oh my god there's not a lot of music here like i was just i was so engrossed in the movie that i didn't even notice and there's a particular part in in that lightsaber fight where i believe she's pushing his lightsaber down into the actual metal and they're kind of crouched both of them are crouched and it has this this sound that i'm not sure how they use it um i'm looking forward to maybe knowing the background of how they did it but the actual, the, 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 it's like a grating sound. You can hear it cutting through the actual steel and, it, and it, it's smoking. And there's like, you can see it going by their faces, the, like the, the smoke coming off of the actual lightsabers. It, it was really well done. I thought that was something that would have felt like, okay, this is, this is some serious stuff. Like lightsabers have always been like, okay, you could cut your arm off easily with that. But this felt more to me like, this is a moment where it's it's do or die. Like, what's going to happen here? And I felt that also Kylo getting the upper hand towards the end where she's just tired. And you can tell she's just, now she's just swinging just to swing the lightsaber. She gets completely blocked every time by Kylo. And she's essentially just gotten to the point where like anybody, you would get tired after a while. And she's still trying to stand up and he just hits her, her lightsaber and she falls down. And it's right before the moment where Leia reaches out to him that he lifts his lightsaber up and you can kind of see her like, she's going to die. Like, this is it. Like, if this is what, what the Emperor told him to do and to kill her, this would be it. This would be the moment. And so, of course, that moment, I think, actually feeds into what we see later when the Emperor says on the hologram to General Pride, he says that the Princess of Alderaan has disrupted my plans. And see... I think a lot of people f don't understand, like, wait, the Emperor said, kill her, then he said, bring her to me, then he's like, change his mind again, and then just suck the, the force life out of both of them. They're like, there's, there's too much going on, like he's not deciding what he wants to do, but they forget the part that the whole point was to kill Rey, so that Kylo and him, or maybe he could possess Kylo's body, that they could rule, right? Like, that way. But because of this disrupting his plans and Leia reaching out to Ben, right now at this point, Ben Solo is back and there's no more Kylo. So now he's like, well, now I want Rey because Rey's the one that has not only my bloodline, but she is the one that has the most power that I want. So then it switched to bring her to me. It wasn't a, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't more of like a, 
kill her, bring her, and all this different confusion. It was based upon what was happening in the series of events, changing the plans that he had for rejuvenating himself or ruling the galaxy through her. I thought that was really well done. And, I've, and I think a lot of people missed it. And they're, they're kind of just confused as to what, what did Palpatine really want? Yeah. I have a friend who I know is going to be listening to this. Hi, Chris. And um, not to call you out or anything, but um, he one of his main issues with the movie was Palpatine's plan and how it kept changing and yada, yada, yada. And how like in the prequel, he was the puppet master and he, you know, had eight different plans for every scenario. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he like was always three steps ahead of everybody. And now this time, it, like he wasn't. And I didn't really feel that way personally. And then like when I thought about it that way, like if that was the case, it's like, hey, I've been dead for 30 years. OK, I'm doing my best here. Like, well, you know, he, he's not going to be as powerful as he was 60 years ago you know like he's just not he's not gonna be because i'm i'm still convinced he was pretty much dead until like he started sucking the life force out of ray and kylo I, I think both you and i because we love this franchise so much that we are uh, by de facto star wars apologists so we will try to explain essentially what may have been seen as a, uh, a plot hole or a hiccup in the films absolutely mm -hmm. i would agree with that and say no well th if you look at it this way then it's not a problem so having said that with palpatine's plans i think i think he was i think it was uh, if you're paying attention it, he was surprised that because of the 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 bond between Ray and Ben, that there was this dyad power of like 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 life itself unseen for generations. He he wasn't expecting that, but it kind of like zapped him. Do you remember that at the beginning? Yes. And then he started regrowing his fingers, and he was like, it wasn't a kind of thing where oh now I'm changing my plan. It was kind of like oh I didn't know this existed. And now that I do, it's kind of exciting. And so I don't need either of them. I'm just going to take the life force out of both of them. Right. So I thought that was a, a way to, you know, an explanation as to why it seemed to have changed his plan again. It's because he was caught off guard that this thing, maybe that he had read about in the past, has now actually happened in this time period and he can take advantage of it. So yeah, that was, that was something that I definitely thought was... It, an interesting twist, just another twist towards the end. Um, and so I guess I had a sixth one, just like you did. Not anything really big, but I guess uh, I, I shouldn't say that. It's very big, but it's not one of the main scenes. It's um, just the, the overall music, I think, like any film that we have with John Williams scoring the, the music, I think that without it, it wouldn't have as much weight or emotional gravity to it. And I think that the music was particularly well done. I have uh, said multiple times to you before that I, I wish that it actually, that, it, that they used some of the music that they had in the trailers because I thought that was very emotional and had it on the actual soundtrack, but they didn't. But regardless, the actual music that we hear during the films, I think was just very well done. And I'm glad that John Williams was still alive to be able to score it for this quote unquote final film of the Skywalker saga. Oh, absolutely. He scored Jurassic Park and he had Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And it's just, if you blindfolded me and played some of his music, I could probably be able to tell you whether it's him or somebody else. And it's just, right. I think it's a testament to his just genius when it comes to 
being the maestro that he is. Absolutely. I mean, we have a cover of it. We do. And uh, Samuel Kim, the guy who actually made it, who's uh, given us permission to use it on the podcast. Yes, thank you, Sam. He is doing some great work, and I haven't seen anything better online. Mm-mm, me neither. I think it's something that is epic music and put together in a very satisfying way. Have you listened to the other stuff that he has? Yes, I've downloaded most of it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I particularly really enjoy, again, this is my, my prequel love coming into it. He's got a Duel of the Fates and Battle of the Heroes mm-hmm. kind of mashup epic thing going. And there's one that he also throws in Across the Stars with those two. Oh, I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, that one's Ooh, even better because yeah. it actually blends all of it. So yeah, he, he does a, a great job in having the transitions at the at the right moment so right. it doesn't sound choppy. So it doesn't sound choppy. That, that, that's one thing I noticed. I'm like, wow, this doesn't sound choppy at all. Like, this is great. Do you have any kind of cool stuff that you've purchased for specifically this film? I know you have lots of Star Wars things, and so do I, but specifically The Rise of Skywalker. I still love my spirit jersey that I got from the Disney store. It's like it's black and it ha- it's basically a sweatshirt for those of you who don't know what a spirit jersey is, but it has like big lettering on the back and it has the Rise of Skywalker logo. I got it on Triple Force Friday. Uh, I was very excited that it was there and they had one in my size because unlike my best friend and co-host, I am a larger person. So sometimes stuff does not fit me. So I was very happy that it fit me. And I actually wore it to my second showing of Rise of Skywalker. I wore my Kylo Ren costume, yes, complete with Scar for the first showing. And then I wore my spirit jersey for the second. I mean, other than that, I love my popcorn bucket that I got at AMC. I just R2D2 one. It's just so cool. Like, I don't know. Like you put popcorn in it and you can put soda in it and it's but it's R2D2 and it's <laughs> it's huge. It's enormous. That's what she said. <laughs> Stop it. This is not that podcast. But like, you know, like the picture of you, dude, it takes up like half of your body. Like, it's just. Yeah, it's uh, it's standing in my bedroom next to some other Star Wars merch. And so it currently it's storing a lot of my pins. I just thought it was a clever idea. And like, so, you know, for this multi-billion dollar coffee company that I work for, there are a lot of customers that come in and they talk to me about Star Wars because they know that I'm a Star Wars person. And some of them are probably lis- listening to this podcast right now. So thank you. And Maverick, please stop barking. <laughs> I um so like all these customers come in and like I was showing them the pictures of the popcorn bucket and they didn't understand it. Like they didn't understand how it worked. So I literally had to bring R2 into work to show them. And it it was a good day. Like all the <clears throat> excuse me, it was a good day. All of the customers were um they were just they were loving it and they were like, "Oh, that's how it works." Okay. Like, "Oh, the soda goes here." I'm like, "Yes, this is exactly what I tried to tell you." Yeah, sometimes you got to show people things. Well, what about you? What what have you gotten? I have lots and lots and lots of posters, but I have not hung up most of them because the space. Oh, that's true. I forgot about all the posters. Now, you have many that are smaller 
in size, but the smaller, of course, it is the 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 less grainy they look because you don't see every pixel. Exactly. That's a good thing about that. And another good thing is that the ones that I buy a lot of the time are the 24 by 36 size. So unless you have unlimited almost wall space um, or you move things that are there already, you can't hang them all up. So at the moment, they're all still wrapped up and they're still um, not displayed. But when I do have maybe a place that we'll move to, when I do have more space, I will have them all up. And at the moment, I don't remember how many, but I think there's at least over, at least over eight or nine just the Rise of Skywalker ones. Well, yeah, because you got all those ones that they were releasing, like mm-hmm. the art like versions. They were, they, mm-hmm. I was gonna say they were releasing them like in the days leading up to the Rise of Skywalker, and a couple of them actually are a silk print, so it's kind of like a like a almost like a banner, uh, like almost like feels like a flag kind of material. And that's what the poster's on. So that's kind of cool in that it's not all just paper, you know? Right. But uh, the ones that I have currently, the Rise of Skywalker ones, are the teaser one and the official movie poster. Those are up. Those are in the frames, and they're up. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. So for for those of you who don't know, we are going to Star Wars Celebration, which is in Anaheim, California, in August of 2020. And we are going, we're going to the convention, but they also announced yesterday that Disneyland is having a special after-hours event on the Thursday night that the convention starts, where it's a special ticket event, and so you have to, like, buy the special ticket for that event, but, like, the park is going to be closed for, like, the general public, and you have to have this ticket to enter it, and that will be Dennis and I's first trip to the Planet Batu. I am excited about that, that special night for opening opening night of celebration, right? Well, right. I mean, that's the really cool part. It's going to be, so we're going to be at the convention all day, and then we're going to go to Disneyland that night. Like, it's just going to be a nonstop party. So we talked about some of the merchandise. Uh, Is there anything that pops out at you or in your mind? Because we haven't, uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the film uh, for at least a, a week or two. I don't know when the last time was, maybe two weeks. So there's some things that aren't as fresh in my mind, but is there anything um, diving into a bit of a, more of a criticism of the film here that you would have changed or that you wanted to maybe have seen differently? This is where the fun begins. It is unavoidable. It is your destiny. You don't know the power of the dark side. Alright, I love Ray. I love Daisy Ridley. I think she has done an incredible job in all three movies. I didn't want Ben to die. Fair. Like, I'm... O- but now here's the flip side of it. Like, I'm okay with how they did it. And I understand why they did it. 
And like I said, I'm okay. But if we're asking what I would have done differently, I wouldn't have killed him. So what would you have wanted? What would you have wanted done differently then? If you, if you didn't want him to die, how would you have finished the film in a way that would have satisfied you or people that would have the same mindset as you? I'd like to think that it's not a bias because I love the character so much. But I still think if, if he had climbed out of the, like literally the movie can be exactly the same as it was, okay? He climbs out of that pit. He, you know what? He could even resurrect her, but then like they get the kiss, but then she dies. And he has to live with the fact that he couldn't save her. I know it's not a very happy ending. No, not at all. Not at all. And I know that, you know, there would be pitchforks at Lucasfilm and, you know, they would burn down Mere Woods and, you know, like everything. And like, I, I, I don't know, like his whole life was just so tragic and he lost his father and he lost his mother. Why wouldn't he lose the love of his life? Like, I, I, I don't know. I just, but then like, you know, so he takes that, he takes Ray's death and he becomes a better man like he reforges the jedi order or he I, I, I don't know well see i agree with you in that i would have liked to see him live at least a little bit longer but i i would have changed it here's what i wanted okay and i think we could have had the same exact film except mm-hmm. that with the with us knowing that they are a dyad and that they are essentially two of one well, right. Why is she not dead if he's dead? That's part of my problem. And I would have I would have liked to see that happy ending in that they would they would now have not have to, but they would live with each other because they both need each other. They've both needed somebody in their lives because they've been lonely their entire lives or less felt that way, regardless of what was going on around them. Like I understand Kylo Ren was coming from a different place with Han and Leia as his parents and Ray didn't know who her parents were. And so it was a bit different, but they were both having that connection with each other, especially in the last Jedi where they felt like they knew each other better than anyone else did. And so if they were able to finish it off as she's half of him and he's half of her and together they're one whole as the whole dyad concept is, then they would be more of a happily ever after ending in that we wouldn't necessarily have to see their interaction with, uh, with the resistance. Like, oh, oh, so now he's a good guy, kind of thing. I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, because that would be very jarring for most people, and 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 hard to reconcile. Nah, I think but would have been funny. At least the Tatooine sunset thing would have been, I think, a, a good closure. In that there is the end of it, but there's a new beginning. You know, so technically. It's the last of the Skywalker saga, but that doesn't mean you have to kill the the literal last Skywalker. So it can continue on, but in a completely new direction. I think that I understand, like you said, the reason why they went about the way that they did it. But I also would have enjoyed there being a a resolution, especially for Rey and, and thinking about all the concept, not the concept art, but the fan art that's come out of how... It almost feels, though, even even though we know that she doesn't stay on Tatooine, we know that from Chris Terrio, it still seems like she has come full circle and hasn't 
completed her arc in a way that's happy where she first saw Takodana and she was like, I've never seen so much green in the entire galaxy. And she loves places like that because they're different. They're not a desolate wasteland like Jakku. But now she's still, again, on a desert planet. In addition, it, in, in addition to it showing that as the last scene, it seems like it almost leaves a, a, a bad taste in some people's mouths in that it's, uh, this is. But see, I never, I never took it as that. I took it as she was going there to bury the lightsabers mm-hmm. very symbolically. And then, you know, the old ancient lady on the cow decided to ask her who she is. Mm-hmm. Like, but I, ne- I never took it as like, see, I wish almost like in the background there, you would see the Falcon like still running. You know what I mean? Right. Like someone was waiting for her on the Falcon because then that would imply that she was not. There we go. It should have been Ben waiting on the Falcon. There you go. That could have worked. And he's flying his father's ship with her. Oh, God, I'm getting goosebumps. Stop. That would have been. A, and then they just light speed off and then you get the iris and it's the credits start rolling. We wouldn't know what would happen next. So it would leave some things open ended, but it would still wrap up like Luke and Leia are done. Like the, the, the official Skywalker, what we know from the original trilogy they have passed on into the next life kind of thing. So that would have ended the Skywalker saga. But I feel, again, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what you do, someone's not going to like it. So there's really no way of, of of resolving this. Well, yeah. And, and like I said, it's not that I didn't like it. It was very jarring. Yeah. Like the whole... Again, I mean, I said this at the beginning of the podcast about the pacing, like mm-hmm. especially the first time. But even even in my subsequent viewings, like even the fourth time, it's like, oh, my God, he's finally happy. Oh, he's dead. Mm-hmm. Like it, like like it's very quick. And I mean, there's something to be said of that. I mean, if he if he drained his life force to to resurrect her, I mean, obviously he's not going to be living very long, you know? Like, And so I kind of need a bit of a explanation on that. I'd like to hear it from somewhere, read it somewhere, something in that, okay, we can, we can go back in our headcanon and, and try and explain, and like we talked about, uh, be a Star Wars apologist as to how he knew how to do this. But, but it's not really explained in, in any way that, that I feel like the audience watching the film would know. Like, okay, Ray well, how did, did it. How did Ray know how to do it with well, the snake? Well, that's, that's the thing. That's one of those that's not really stated, but we're assuming maybe she learned it from the Jedi texts. Maybe she learned it from Leia during training. We don't see it. How did Luke know to force project himself in The Last Jedi? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. We didn't. We didn't you know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that we never see, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that as a negative thing. I'm just saying that as a. That's a good point. I feel like that's part of, you know, how, how did Ray know how to turn on the lightsaber when, you know, she was on a desert planet? Yeah, there could always be holes that you can poke into the story, but. Um... Oh, absolutely. That is a good point. And then I can I can even bounce off of that and say, OK, well. How did how did Yoda learn how to lift an X-wing out of the swamp in Dagobah? Right. I how did, how did the Force connection? I mean, we know that Snoke slash Palpatine was responsible for it. 
Well, I don't think he was responsible for it. I think he may have said that and that he manipulated it. But we, as we can see, they can still do it with him being gone. Snoke. Well, no, because Palpatine was actually behind it. If Palpatine was behind Snoke. Yeah, but they can still initiate it without Palpatine. Right. Because of them being so closely knit together and having soul ties and the dyad whole concept. So it's, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's something that he started and then they just kind of took on. I think it's something that because of their bond was able to be formed and then manipulated. Because if, if Palpatine knew that, then he would have known they were a dyad, which he didn't. That's true. Okay. Because then he would have been like, oh, they're a dyad. Let's connect them. Let's get them here. Let's suck the life force out of them. Like, he didn't know all that, according to the story. Right. Right. I also thought it was a very fun nod to C-3PO saying that the Festival of the Ancestors, the Aki Aki Festival of the Ancestors that we see on Pasana when the whole crew gets there, he says the festival only happens every 42 years and that it's very lucky that they're there. They kind of give him this look, which I think was obviously for comedic relief. And it was something where they kind of all look at him like, why are you talking about this? This isn't why we're here. This is actually a problem now because there's so many people here that it's going to be hard to find the wayfinder or what they're looking for. And I thought while it was a fun scene, most people I think who were seeing this film didn't recognize that there's a reason they chose 42 years in that line for C-3PO to say. And that's because it's been 42 years since the beginning of the Star Wars saga. It's been 42 years since the release of The Star Wars in 1977 by George Lucas. So it was a nice little Easter egg in the actual film that if you were listening and paying attention, the 42 years jumped out at you immediately if you are a hardcore Star Wars fan, or even a casual Star Wars fan. Somebody who knew that this was the culmination of the Skywalker saga, throwing in that 42 years line was a nice touch. Actually, piggybacking off of that scene, we notice that Ray is actually very happy and excited to be there. Everyone else is kind of annoyed. You actually hear Poe say, there's so many few wayfinders or something to that effect. And there's a lot of dancing, a lot of very Bollywood-esque cultural festivities happening. There's a lot of powder, which to me kind of looks like curcumin powder or curry powder that's kind of being shot up in the air and it's it's very reminiscent i think of the indian culture and i think it was just a wonderful thing to put into the film because it actually showcases that there are other species in the galaxy and they all have their own festivals and culture and i thought it was a nice nod to the clone wars television series where we get to see many different species across the galaxy and they all have different cultures, and they all have different ways of living their lives. So I thought that was a nice nod to it. And what I'm getting at is that Ray seemed very excited to be there. She had never seen anything like this before in her life. I believe that's what she said. And it looked like she was just happy to be somewhere other than a desert that was dead and desolate, like Jakku or Tatooine, which she actually goes to at the end of the film. This was a desert brimming with life because of the natives, the Aki-Aki, as they're called. One thing that stood out to me was when one of the Aki-Aki children, I'm assuming, came up to her and asked her what her name was. And she says, I'm Ray." And then she pushes a little bit and asks that she would like to know where she comes from or what her last name is, essentially. And this kind of hits Ray, and we're supposed to feel like, oh, we didn't get this resolution yet in this sequel trilogy. And Ray responds, 
I'm just Ray. And for many people, that would have been fine. For me, it might have even been fine. But what really, really hits me hard, and it really makes me feel bad for her character, is that at least in that scene, the following scene, she sees children. The Akiaki children are sitting on this mat, and they're watching this puppet show, which I'm assuming has something to do with that festival, and maybe they're describing something in the past, something like a legend, or you know how puppet shows kind of are for children. It entertains them, and these little kids are laughing, and they seem very happy, and Ray looks at them, and the first thing that kind of popped into my mind was she's looking at them because this is a character, a female character, who's longing for family. She's longing for perhaps even her own family. She's looking at these children, and she's thinking, I think she may be thinking two things, at least in my interpretation. I think she's thinking, this is the kind of childhood I don't remember. This is the kind of childhood I long for and wish that I had. Whereas we see in The Force Awakens, where she sees the, the, the ship taking off, and she's singing, come back, or she's yelling, come back, and she is waiting her entire life for her parents to return. So I think that she's looking at these children on Pasana and longing for what she never had. But then I also feel like I could be interpreted as she would like to have a family of her own in the future, not just a family that, that supports her like the Resistance does, and she's kind of on the same side, but a family in which she could have her own children and a family where she can grow old knowing that she's passing on a legacy to some of her own children. And I don't know if I'm just projecting there because I would love Ray to be able to have children of her own, but it, it really, really hurts me knowing that how the film ends. It's very unlikely that she will ever have children of her own unless they expand upon which I hope they do, but I, if they expand upon what happens at the end of the film in supplementary material or in, in movies that may be coming up in the future, I feel that maybe she could have children. I don't want her to have children with Finn. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. I don't want her to have children with Poe, anybody that we know any, in any way. I, I wish that, that Ben Solo was still there at the end and that they could live together as a dyad as two parts that are one and that she could begin a whole new chapter of her life in which she's finally felt feels like she belongs she finally feels like somebody understands her as much as she does herself or even more and so it kind of hit me in that she's looking at these children and it seems like she's never going to be able to experience that kind of happiness i personally don't have children in real life but i know that for many children bring a kind of happiness to a fulfilled life. Now, I don't think you have to have children to have a fulfilled and purposeful life. I'm just kind of looking at that through the lens of what she sees. And maybe I'm completely off. Maybe I'm completely wrong with what she's actually thinking in her mind. But we don't actually have that explained to us very well. It's kind of up to the audience who's watching this film to infer what she is feeling when she's looking at these children. So I just wanted to throw that in because I, I don't think I can watch this film without actually feeling that, that lump in my throat and in my heart going, oh my goodness, I wish she could have a family that she longs for and not just a superficial one. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh 
or mean or rude, but she, the family that she has at the end, that is the resistance and the people that she's come to know as a family and accept as a family, I just don't feel that the connection there is as strong as she had with Ben Solo. And for that, I, I don't apologize. I, I think that's very clear. I think it's been made clear through all three of these films, at least from the last film and this one, that the bond that she has with Ben Solo is exponentially greater than the bond that she has with the Resistance. And although the Resistance is very important to her and she's you know extremely tied to them, I still feel sad and somewhat disappointed that she was not able to have that kind of a life with the love of her life, with Ben Solo. And of course, while we're on Pasana, we run into Lando Calrissian. And I know many fans, including myself, were really excited to see him in this film. I was hoping that it was actually meaningful that he was in this film and he wasn't just a short cameo that they threw in so that some original trilogy fans were happy. But I think that his character arc in this film was well utilized. And I love that Billy D. Williams was able to come back and reprise his role as the smooth-talking Lando Calrissian. And I actually think that they've revealed now that he has a much longer name. It's Baron Calrissian III or something where it's just very suave and very smooth. And I just enjoyed seeing him again in this film. I also do enjoy the fact that it wasn't obvious the moment that we saw his character because he had a kind of a mask on. But I think it was a throwback to the kind of helmet slash mask he had on in Return of the Jedi at Jabba's palace. It was much more covered, so you couldn't see his eyes until he took the whole thing off. But I think that it was a nice connection to that. And so it was a kind of a parallel between The Rise of Skywalker and Return of the Jedi. And I also love that moving contraption that he lives in, or at least moves around in. And I forgot the name of the one that's driving it, but it's almost like a Muppet in the film. And I love it because he opens this sliding door and says, hey, we got to go here or whatever he says. And the Muppet goes, okay, and just closes the door. And I forgot the name of the person who actually voices it, but I heard it somewhere on another podcast. And I just love that short little scene because it just reminds me of Yoda and Frank Oz and the Muppets and how, you know, sometimes in these movies they kind of blend things together. And I just I just really love that scene. I love the scene between Lando and Rey where she basically tells him after he says, give Leia my love, she tells him you should give it to her yourself. And that kind of maybe makes him think about getting back into the fight. And, and I just, I really enjoyed that scene. I thought it was short. And, you know, he meets Chewie again. He says, Wookiees stand out in a crowd. And I just absolutely love that. Chewie gives him this one big bear hug. And it was just a nice scene. It was a very nice scene. Short, of course, I feel like a lot of scenes in the film were short because they had to cut down ones for time. And we can get into that whole thing later if we want to. But definitely a good scene. I enjoyed seeing Lando again. And it wasn't the last that we saw of him, of course, at the end when he came in with all the ships and sent out that distress call for all of the people in the galaxy to come help at the Battle of Exegol. I just, I do really enjoy seeing him in the cockpit again with Chewie, and it was, it was a nice, um, it, was, it was a warm kind of feeling to see this in this film.
feisty little one, but you'll soon learn some respect. The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. So I and and so one of the things that I feel I would have loved to see and it would have made this movie and I, I like we we keep we keep saying this and I think maybe it needs to be said but we still both love this movie but there are things that would have made it even better. Mm-hmm. So my thing would in addition to the Ben Solo maybe not dying or I don't like to see it as dying I like to think of it as him giving his life willingly and then passing on to the force in a peaceful sense kind of like luke well yes i i agree with that yes because a lot of people are like oh you know disney killed ben or no they didn't that there's a there's a different way of viewing it you can see it as they they killed him or he as his character willingly gave his life there's two different things you know right and whichever one you want to look at is the way you're going to respond and behave with the film and like when they say all this Disney stuff, it's not all. So Lucasfilm is its own company. Mm-hmm. Like it, it always has been. Well, since George Lucas made it, the only thing that happened is Disney bought Lucasfilm. They did not get rid of Lucasfilm. Like Lucasfilm still exists, which is why their name is on the beginning of every movie, not just to make all nine of them match, but like, Disney just pays the bills, you know what I mean? Like, yes, Bob Iger is involved and whatever, but like, as far like, I mean, Lucasfilm is still a, like their own company, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they hire, they hire the writers, they, you know, they come up with these, like they have the story group. It's not called the Disney story group. It's called the Lucasfilm story group. You know what I mean? So like, but I think the reason people are, are branding it as Disney is one, it's, it's a, it's an overarching umbrella over Lucasfilm. It's bigger. Well, yes. And then there's those, the potential conspiracy theories of why certain things were cut or certain things weren't made in a certain way is because of the... I thought we weren't going to talk about them. Why not? Because I didn't want to, remember? It upsets me. Lots of things upset you. That doesn't mean they're not true. Remember I lost sleep over it and I had to go watch it the next day because I couldn't sleep? Well, we brought it up, right? Lucasfilm and Disney. So... (sighs) It's something that that maybe you just said they paid the bills. They pay the bills. If they're going to pay the bills, they're going to want the outcome to be the way they want it. So if it's potentially shareholders or top executives at Disney, they're going to be the ones who make the final decision, not JJ, not Kathy, people above them. And so I don't know if those things were true, what people are talking about, but it does make sense from a marketing, from a very money-driven, capitalistic society point of view. You mean know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So I, I don't like to see it that way, but I also don't like to think that there are people out there who are sending death threats and all the stuff towards people in the Star Wars fandom, but they do. And it's unfortunate that it is something and it's a part of our world, but we obviously don't need to dwell on it. It's just something to recognize, I think, is it's there. But anyway, so the, the thing that I wanted to see see not just hear but see force ghosts yeah how did we not how did we not talk about this already other than because we're talking about the things that we 
wanted to see that weren't in the film. Mm-hmm. And if they had done it, not just like a whole weird, like, let's just throw in 10 Force Ghosts behind Ray. No. I mean, like, if they did it in a way that was very well edited or directed to where I've even seen some some fan art of it, which I can send you. I don't think I've sent it to you, where it's more of like it plays in with what's happening in the actual scene. And like if it was Anakin or Obi-Wan or somebody behind Rey, but not like directly behind her, kind of like looking over their shoulder, mm-hmm. but looking not looking over Rey's shoulder, like looking over their own shoulder and kind of like turned at an angle to the camera. So it's kind of like they're there, but they're not necessarily all like positioned in the same way. You know, so it's like if they did it in a way that was that was well done, I think it could have had even more impact because the way that she quote unquote destroys Palpatine is is the same exact thing that that Mace Windu was doing in the prequels, except it didn't finish it. So I don't know what the what the full difference would be just because she's hearing the voices in her head. You know, it's not like we can actually see them participating. We can infer that that maybe that's why is because all of them combine their force and and had Ray do it but it it wasn't it wasn't clearly shown it was something that you kind of had to imagine in your head bouncing off of that mm-hmm. not to get too deep into the conspiracy theories but do you think they filmed stuff with like Hayden and Ewan and Samuel L Jackson like do, like do you think they actually filmed them like in costume because i remember seeing a couple posts about you know claims that Particularly, Ewan and Hayden were at Pine Street Studios or whatever it's called. Pinewood. Pinewood, thank you. And like in their Jedi garb and actually like they filmed that dialogue, but like that dialogue was filmed with them in costume. I'd like to think that's true. But on the other hand, I, I hope it's not. Why would they have not put it in the movie? These are questions I don't think we'll ever actually have answers to. Which is sad, but oh well. So yeah, so that's something that I would have liked to see, but if we, I I will see it in my own headcanon just to make myself happy because we hear the voices. I love the scene where she's, it kind of, it shoots her own mind kind of out into space past what's happening. Yes. And I I love that. I love where we have her, her theme softly playing Ray's theme Mm -hmm. and then she, and she's trying to connect with the Jedi of the past. And I, I really like how that was done. It would have made it better if I saw them for at least a glimpse. Yeah, I thought, I thought we were going to get some kind of sighting. That, that nah, I was going to say that's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Like, I thought we were going to get some kind of like them, whether it was Force Ghost or whatever. Well, I've seen some, um, some fan art that kind of really really tugs at my heart because the lines that she says at the beginning when she's floating and meditating with the rocks and she's trying to connect with the Jedi and she says, they're not with me. Which The words that she says is, be with me. And she keeps saying that and then she finally is able to break through and hear them. The fan art that I've seen is like her saying that on Tatooine, trying to connect with Ben. And it's like, I that just wrecks me because I'm like, I... I'm trying to understand the way she would be feeling as a character, you know, and how she finally got through to Ben, but right. then he's not there with her anymore, like in the physical. And so she's, I mean, BB-8 is great, but he's not a substitute for Ben. So, well, no, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know how, I don't know how I, I haven't still completely, I guess, come to term with that, with my feelings regarding that. But when seeing 
when I see stuff like that from fans who really love both of their characters, it's like, that's, that kind of hurts. Cause it's like, she, if she's trying to connect and she can't, or she, maybe she will in the future. It's just kind of like a hope that maybe there will be something where she can still communicate with Ben or with right. Luke or whatever, but we don't have any indication that she will. That's, and that's, what's kind of like, please let there be something. Well, and then bouncing off that kind of an idea, the other thing I really wanted, which I know we had talked about this in different, like in different ways. And um, I really wanted, and this is not just because of my Anakin obsession, but I wanted to see a scene with Hayden and Adam, mm. whether it was on Mustafar, whether it was in his quarters, just, I don't know. And it kind of, it almost sounds cheesy in a way, but like, I, I just wanted it. I don't know. Like I, I like, you know, Anakin pleading with Kylo, you know, ple- you know, like, don't, don't make my mistakes. Don't do what I did that, you know, like, I, I, I don't know something. That sounds like it would be something like in like a comic though, you know? No, but I wanted it in the movie. I know we wanted a lot of things in the movie, but it unfortunately didn't happen the way that we would have liked. One thing I wanted happened. Well, yeah, there were some things that we definitely did get that we wanted. The Millennium Falcon is still flying. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. I'm sorry. I would have been inconsolable. Really? If you had to between the Falcon and Ben, I'd rather I'd rather destroy the Falcon. <sighs> Don't make me choose. I would definitely choose Ben. No, but I've lo- I've loved the Falcon much longer than I have loved Ben. I've loved Ben for two months. Not not two months, a month. It's been a month. Because if you think about it, in the other two movies, it was just Kylo, and we didn't really know anything about Ben. So, But it's a person versus a hunk of junk. That is not a hunk of junk. <laughs> it's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. Number one. Number two, do not even try and say that the Falcon is not an important character in Star Wars. It is absolutely a character. I'm just, I'm just poking the badger. No, it's a ship, but like, I mean... It is just as, I don't know, like, I, it's not Star, that, you know what, that's what was wrong with the prequels. There was no Millennium Falcon. There was that little cameo. I know, in episode three, which kind of messes with the timeline. Mm, Why would it mess with the timeline? Because if it was in new Lando condition after Revenge of the Sith, then what was the Falcon doing in episode three? Maybe it wasn't the Falcon, maybe it was just another YT Corellian freighter. Yeah, maybe. Because I thought there was a scene too where it looked like there were two next to each other. Uh, that was one of those small cameos that you really had to look for. And it's because it's like, it's not, it's not a extremely unique one. It's just the one that we see all the time in the films. You know, like the only reason it's unique to us is because it's the only one in Star Wars. But in the Star Wars universe, it's not the only one made of that kind. Well, right, exactly. We'd ever talked about Dio. I love Dio. I I don't know anybody who doesn't love Dio. I just think it's one of the coolest cameos. And some people really don't like it because they have beef with JJ now with how the movie ended. And we can get into all that and maybe some other episode. But I do really enjoy that Dio, the cone face, as Poe calls him, droid that kind of imprints on BB-8 when BB-8 revives him. I thought that that was just awesome that it was JJ voicing the droid, and whenever it said certain lines or when it said certain words, it was JJ's voice, of course, digitalized, and 
kind of changed up a bit so that it sounded more like a, a robot. But I, I do like that that was his cameo in it. There was someone. There was something else that we didn't talk about that I thought about afterwards. Well, there's plenty. I got a little bit of. I got a short list that I think we oh, still good. need to go over. Okay, but yeah. So Dio, I love Dio. I remember at the celebration panel when they brought out Dio. I was like, oh look, another cute droid. I hate to sound like a crybaby fanboy, but I was like, okay. I'm like. BB-8's gonna have a little buddy, that's cute, like, whatever, like, he beeps, he honks, whatever, and then, so, like, you know, and, and I did, I thought he was cute looking, but I'm like, he's like a little, I don't know, he's a wheel, and he's a whatever, like, I'm like, okay, like, he's gonna be whatever, and then, you know, he's in the movie, and I love him, and, you know, he's got that funny little robotic voice, and I just, I don't know, I thought that was really cool. I don't know, charming maybe would be the correct word. Yeah, I remember talking to you about that and how I was surprised that there was actually voice to yes. to the droid. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know how I always sit through the credits, I told you that. And one of the mm-hmm. first things I noticed was it said Dio J.J. Abrams. I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. That just, that made me like Dio that much more. So I heard a little bit more on the background of that. And apparently they had many different people actually trying to voice Dio. Really? And they decided to say, hey, why don't you do it, JJ? We want to see how you sound. And they decided, and he didn't really want to do it initially from what I've heard. And so at the end of it, they scrubbed all the other voice actors and said, we like it better with you. And he reluctantly said, okay, fine. I'll do, that'll be my cameo in the film. That's awesome. But it worked out well, because everybody seems to love Dio, almost everybody. And just like most people like Babu Frick, which is another great character. I, Babu Frick. That's the one that we didn't talk about. Droid go black black. Yes, that was an amazing scene. And I loved that part where he's in Zori Bliss's Y-Wing. Oh my god, that was great. That I did not expect him to pop up there. I did not either. I totally expected Zori Bliss to be in a Y-Wing because of the Lego set. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I noticed even in interviews with Oscar Isaac and Carrie Russell, I know that Oscar is married. I'm not sure if Carrie is, but it seemed it was interesting. I'm not sure if they were actually playing the characters while they were in the interviews, because they seemed to be very close. The way that they behaved and interacted with each other, I don't know if you picked up on this. It seemed as though almost they felt a connection on a level that was beyond just the characters that they played. So I don't know how long they've known each other, but it just seemed like they've known each other for a long time. I think that's just her because she is an amazing actress and everything I have ever seen her in, I have loved. Like, I'll admit I haven't seen everything, but just this is the teenage me coming out. But uh, Felicity, like her first show, which also Mm -hmm. was created by J.J. Abrams. Yes, she just she had this undeniable chemistry with everyone she had scenes with and it's something i remember to this day so yeah it didn't surprise me at all like and i loved the scene where they're talking about escaping and like she brings the eyes up the visor mm-hmm. thank you yes um like the visor comes up and she's like you want to come with me and like it was just it was a really well done scene i really enjoyed it i thought i thought that was a good artistic way of expressing the way that she is feeling, but only showing her eyes. Yes. You know, in a film where, especially from The Last Jedi, when we had Ryan Johnson doing all these very 
artsy things. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that from JJ. And when he had that in the actual scene, I thought it was good because you didn't see her full face. It was literally just her eyes, but she was able to act with her eyes, which is, I think, it's a testament to her skill of acting where you can tell her emotions just by looking at the eyes. Oh, yeah. She's awesome. So, yeah, Zori, that was a... You know, I thought she was going to be one of those characters kind of like Boba Fett that would be a little underutilized, but I think they used her character more than I thought. Yes, I think, like, I mean, I know she wasn't in it very much, but I think they used her pretty well. And again, that might be a testament to her acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed her character. And I do also enjoy that Mark Hamill was the voice for Bulio, which was that alien with the horns at the beginning that gives Finn and Poe the information that there's a spy in the First Order. And we later find out that that's Hux, but the very beginning when they're going to that just beautifully shot and, and, and the beautiful visuals of this looking iceberg planet thing, I'm not quite sure what it's called, but that's where they kind of break through that ice wall and they start the light speed skipping. But that was a, a very intense, very fast-paced scene. But I, I kind of was able to tell that it was Mark Hamill with the voiceover, but it, it wasn't confirmed until after the movie was released that, yes, indeed, Mark Hamill does voice Bulio. And the first time I actually heard Finn say Bulio, I thought I said Julio, which is a very different word. But I, in, the, in the scene and then being caught up in the moment watching the film, I didn't really pay that much attention it was sad for some people that very close to after that scene, we see Bulio's head slammed down, of course, severed onto the table by Kylo Ren. And that's when he mentions that they have a spy in the First Order. It wasn't exactly right after that scene, but it was very close after. I think it was after we saw the reforging of the helmet and the Knights of Ren kind of making their way down that hall with Kylo Ren. It was one of those things that was sad for some people, but definitely jarring because the loud thud of when the head hit the table was definitely something that would, you know, catch everybody's attention. But one thing I did uh, kind of want to ask you about is, so I don't know how you pronounce it. I know a lot of people have their own way of pronouncing it, but the Tantive 4. Okay. Some people say the Tantive E4, and I'm not sure which one's correct. Tantive for is what I go for. I really enjoyed seeing that in this last film. I did as well. So apparently Nine Nub is piloting it. And if you look really closely in the film, when Palpatine is shooting the lightning up at all the ships, there is a lot of explosions within the cockpit. Yes. But I think we will get a definitive answer in March or April when the actual novelization comes out. Mm. because there was a little bit of a spatter of words between Ray Carson, which is the female who's actually writing the book, and the male actor who plays Nine Numb. Correct. And he was saying, hey, there is no evidence whatsoever that he died in the battle over Exegol. And Ray Carson didn't initially just say, yeah, he did, but she was mentioning essentially things that if you look closely, we don't see him necessarily at the end, you know, celebrating with everybody else. Right. So it's a funny thing because if I forgot the name of the actor who plays Nine Numb, but hopefully he doesn't push her buttons too much because if she gets together with the storyboard, she's writing the novelization. Right. So she could write him out if mm -hmm. she wanted to. I don't think she would, but 
you know, it's kind of like don't poke the the badger with a stick, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Personally, I love Nine Num, but I'm not really attached to him. So if he died or he didn't, it's not like it's a it's a deal breaker for me. No, it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. Like it was nice to see him in Force Awakens. You know, I'm still upset about Akbar. Okay, so well, actually, it's a good good little transition. What do you think of Aftab Akbar? Do you think we got enough of him? No. No, I don't think so either. Now, not that, I mean, not that he should have been like a major player in the movie or anything, but like, it would have been nice to see him maybe in an X-Wing. You see, this is what I would have liked to see. And maybe they actually have it and it just got cut. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see when the Blu-ray comes out. So for those people who don't know who Aftab Akbar is, Akbar Akbar, it is the son of Admiral Akbar. Admiral Akbar, yeah, from the original trilogy as well as the first two sequel films. And we saw his tragic end in The Last Jedi. Did we, though? We did. No, we didn't. We did. They didn't show him. We didn't see a memorial, but we did see him get blasted out into space. We did? Yes, if you look in the background behind Leia. Is he really? Okay, all right. So the first time we actually see his son Aftab is in the comic series leading up to The Rise of Skywalker. Yes. And when I was reading that, I said, who is this? It is Amon Kala, but it is on the world essentially where they live that Leia's trying to get some recruits for the Resistance. It's a nice little comic series. I believe it has four issues mm-hmm. and it has really nice cover art where you put it together and it makes one big, long collage. And I think it was an interesting little series where it kind of helped you see more of where are they trying to get recruits from? Because at the end of The Last Jedi, we only have, what, a handful of them on the Millennium Falcon. Yes. So that's not going to do much to the First Order. No. Did you happen to read Resistance Reborn yet? Is that the book? That is the book. No. Neither have I. It is sitting on the bookshelf. I was just going to say, it's sitting actually right here next to me on my dresser. Unread. From what I've heard, they explain a lot more where Lando goes and who he recruits. Oh, really? And a lot more that we don't we don't actually get to see it so much in the film. Right. But in that big scene where all the ships are there and thousands of ships, it actually explains more as to how he was able to recruit the others. And I think there's also actually a part of Galaxy's Edge Rides of the Resistance ride where we get to see Lando in a hologram form, uh, which is the actual one of the messages that he's broadcasting from the the core planets or the area where the core planets are to the rest of whoever wants to come join or whoever is willing to come join on Exegol. Rise of the Resistance or on Star Tours? Because I thought he was in Star Tours. I may be wrong. I don't... I mean, I've never been to Star Tours. So... What Star Tours does is it kind of randomizes where you go. It's like you're on a galactic destination kind of thing. And about two years ago, maybe a little longer, they made it where it would stay in the same era. Like it used to jump. It, 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 would go, it goes to like three planets maybe. But like you could do like the pod race and then you could jump to like the Death Star trench battle from A New Hope, and then you could go to like the Battle of Crate, 
you know what I mean? Like you could like skip trilogies kind of. And they made a recent change to that like a couple years ago where it's going to stay in the timeline. So like if you start in like say Naboo, you're going to stay in prequel territory, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to jump around too much, but so with this new movie as they have done with Force Awakens and then um, before Galaxy's Edge, you landed on Batu, actually, like, you know, kind of like a little preview of Galaxy's Edge. And then for The Last Jedi, it was Crate. They made the Star Tours right now is um, Exegol. It's like the Battle of Exegol. Okay. But, like, I'm pretty sure there's a message from Lando in that. Okay. So, what you're saying essentially is that what you would be able to read in Resistance Reborn, which you or I may never even get to, is in Star Tours with Lando and his message being broadcast. I believe so. Well, if a Google search won't suffice, we will be able to tell everybody when we go in August. Right? Oh my God, is it August yet? No, you were just saying you wanted the Blu-ray. You got to get that first. Oh my God, that's right. You want too many things, man. Too many things at once. Yeah, I know. That's me. One more thing that I wanted to ask you about, because we have not touched upon Rose Tico. Okay. Didn't have a lot of her in this film. Did not. Although she's not a favorite character of mine, I don't dislike her. I know a lot of people do like her, mm-hmm. but I did want to see more of her, actually, because it, it seemed to be set up in The Last Jedi. Rose was underutilized. I think everybody can agree with that. Some people may have liked that she was underutilized, but I certainly thought she could have been a much bigger part of the story, especially since we did see her in The Last Jedi and at the very end where Finn kind of covers her up with that blanket and it seems like there's, there's a relationship there beyond just friendship. Anyway, besides that, I feel like there were characters in this film, like we've mentioned before, that were brand new to us and it's somewhat unusual to introduce main characters or at least secondary characters in the final film of a saga, especially a Star Wars saga. And I felt like when it comes to Claude, the slug-like alien that we see briefly at the beginning in the Millennium Falcon, as well as at the end where it's the celebration scene and everybody's returning from Exegol, uh, you actually see Dominic Monaghan, his character Beaumont Kin, is actually hugging Claude. Uh, It's a very brief scene, but even that, I felt like that Rose could have been utilized in that scene at the beginning of the film, where who better than Rose to fix something that is broken on the Millennium Falcon? Claude, as endearing as he is to many people who actually enjoyed his character and how he looks, doesn't really strike me as somebody who has the capabilities of fixing something on a ship, mechanically anyway. Rose was set up perfectly as somebody who does that kind of work in The Last Jedi. So I felt that there was a missed opportunity there to use Rose instead of Claude for fixing something on the Millennium Falcon. It also would have been a nice connection with Poe and Finn and Chewie. They're all in the Falcon at the beginning when they're doing the light speed skipping. I felt that Rose being there would have actually been very meaningful because it would have tied in what happened in the previous film. I wanted to see more of her. I am not offended with what they did in the movie. You know, like, 
they said they were going to focus on the three, and they did for like the first quarter of the movie, and then it was the Ray and Kylo show, which is what I wanted, so it's fine. Like, you know, call it sloppy writing or whatever you want. Like, you know, Finn went and like they cut a lot out of this movie, and the fact that they kept the scene where Finn goes up to Rose and is like, hey, you know, this is your last chance. Do you want to come with us? And she's like, no, I have to do this, blah, 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 blah. Like I said, if you want to call it sloppy writing or whatever, JJ kept that in the movie for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, you can say that they purposefully sidelined her or whatever. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I'm sick of all, I'm sick of all the hate. Looking at the actual poster again, as much as I really like Zori Bliss, uh-huh. and I, I don't have a strong connection with Jana, but I understand that it, it's a, it was a cool thing for Finn's character and being able to meet somebody who was a stormtrooper who defected. You know, right. that's great. However, if Zori or Jana weren't in this film, I think there would be a lot more time for Rose, for Poe, for everybody, because they added new characters in the final film, which I think is kind of. And gave them not just, you know, a, like a, a brief scene or a brief whatever, they kind of interact with them. They had long periods of time where they dedicated to these characters. And I thought that might have been a problem when it comes to when you have to cut down the movie to a certain length and you're including these new characters that we don't even know who they are. Yes, it's exciting that they're new, but then that takes takes away from the ones that we already know when we want to see their story progress. You know what I'm saying? Well, it does, absolutely. See, that's where I feel like it's an instance like that where sometimes TV is a better medium. Mm-hmm. Like, because you have more episodes, like, like look at the clone wars. Look at what the, clo- like, like I swear half the people that love the prequel trilogy, it's because of the clone wars. Like the clone wars really expanded the prequel trilogy. Like it expanded Anakin's character. It, it expanded the romance between Anakin and Padme. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like the friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, like it really, it, it gave building blocks. Like, And I would never trade the movies for anything, but like, you know, you only have two. But, but now this is my other thing. And I believe we touched on this a little bit. Why not make it a three hour movie? Everyone would have sat through it, especially with it being the last one. I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm still mad that it's only two and a half hours. David, it's hard for me to talk about this topic without having to go immediately with my mind to the potential conspiracy. Which we are not talking about, I know. Right. And and that does make me upset in that it could have been a three-hour movie just like Endgame. Well, and I still, I wholeheartedly believe if Endgame had come out in 2018 and this was 2019, we would have gotten a longer movie. Would we really? Yes, because it's made by the same people, like the same creative decisions, and yeah, like as far as marketing and all of that, like that that part part of why Solo didn't do well at the box office, I think, is because it came out the same month as Infinity War. If you think back to May of 2018, like all of the marketing, like you know, look at Target, look at anywhere, it was all Avengers. It was nothing else, and like that's fine, but like you know, from like someone higher up in Disney. You've got another movie coming out. You don't just have Infinity War coming out. You've got Solo coming out, you know, and that was the test that you can't just put the Star Wars name on it and it's going to sell like like you still have to sell the movie. And they did not do that. Personally, I think you might you might disagree with me on this, but I think they did a really good job with the marketing for Rise of Skywalker. Oh, they did a wonderful job with it. 
but they still came up short in the end with what they were predicting. I think their predictions were a little too much. Really? For the for the they kept hyping the the final film of the Skywalker saga. I mean, that's that's a very big thing to have to conclude. So I don't I don't think that they were overblowing that. But it's also not the finale. It's not the finale that the general public wanted. Well, what do you mean by general public? Like the general, I'm not talking hardcore Star Wars fans. I'm I'm talking, you know, like the sequel trilogy, the Skywalker saga. People were expecting the further adventures of Luke, Leia, and Han. Like, you know, when they said, oh, hey, we're doing more Star Wars movies, they wanted Han, Leia, and Luke, and that's not what they did. Mm-hmm. Because it was all about Ben Solo, all, all of that, like, like, like those pictures, like, you know, they all died for Ben. And like this whole, even from behind the scenes, it was about passing the torch. You know what I mean? Like all those people that worked on The Force Awakens that had worked on the original trilogy and the prequels, they were handing it over to these new people. And like, you know, Leia was passing the lightsaber to Rey. Like, you know, there was all of that symbolism. I think that's what makes it more than just a superficial movie. It's deep, you know, the the parallels and the symbolism that the general audience, as you mentioned, never gets. They never understand that because they don't look that deep into it. No, they don't. They just see flashy swords, funny moments, scary moments. Well, right. They 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 wanted Luke to be fighting a villain, and you know, like Han and Leia to have a kid, which I know they did, and you know, he turned evil, but he got better, so it was fine. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think they had unrealistic expectations. What we didn't talk about yet is Dark Ray. Hmm. Okay. There was very short. I know. I wanted a little more. I, I think we, I think we were saying that a lot. We wanted a little more with a lot of things. And right. I think there actually may be more, but they cut it again. As fun as the speculation was, I never, ever thought Ray was going to turn to the dark side like some people did. I didn't either. They would never do that in a third film, and it would confuse every single audience member. I was going to say, in a, in a third film of which she is like the lead of the trilogy. Particularly a role model for young girls. Right, which is Disney's thing. And they're not going to make her bad all of a sudden in the last film. Right. I'd never understood how people thought that was going to happen. No, I didn't either. I saw the D23, mm-hmm. you know, special look at the end and, you know, analyzing every little frame like every YouTuber has. And I thought, this is a nice parallel to Luke's Dagobah cave scene. Yes. And I thought that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Her version of it, because she's a Palpatine. You know what would have been cool? If Kylo had to confront Dark Ray, some people had that idea as well. I thought that would have been cool too, but I like the way that we got it. Oh, I do too. Finally, a really cool scene that was actually in that boardroom kind of meeting that was reminiscent of A New Hope, where Vader is there and Tarkin's there. There was the moment where General Pride kind of downplays what Hux did, and Starkiller Base said that he would be correcting the error of Starkiller Base with this new Sith fleet that Kylo has just told them about. And I like that there was that other officer there that was questioning 
the dark side, questioning the side, the dark side of the Force, just like the the individual and I forgot his name in A New Hope did, and Vader came over and began to choke him. This kind of same thing happened with Kylo in that this commander or whomever he was said, what does he want from us? And he started going on a short little rant about how this doesn't really make sense. And Kylo just uses the force to pin him up against the ceiling, choking him simultaneously. And everyone's kind of looking up at the ceiling while it zooms in on Kylo. And Kylo says, I'm taking my knights to go hunting for the scavenger, of course, meaning Ray. But I just thought that was a really cool scene in that he was in control, but he was also almost one-upping his grandfather. And although I love Darth Vader, I thought this was a, a, a scene that was maybe not copied, but definitely reminiscent of Rogue One at the very end, where Vader throws one of the rebel officers up on the ceiling and holds him there until he walks by and slices him with the lightsaber. This was the same kind of thing, except that Kylo was pinning this officer up to the ceiling and choking him, almost as if a, I don't want to deal with you, I'm tired of you always having issues when we have meetings kind of thing. I can definitely feel that way in meetings that I have sometimes at work, but that's beyond the point. I can relate to how Kyla was feeling at that moment. So I thought that was fantastic. Very short. I, I feel like I say that way too often, but it was pretty epic, and I enjoyed that. I think lastly, the thing that I am I'm kind of disappointed when it comes to the Sith Troopers. Oh, yeah. I think they could have used those a lot more. Mm-hmm. And we saw very short glimpses of them, and that was it. And I don't mean to maybe sound like a negative about it, but it makes me feel almost as if they made a Stormtrooper just to sell another Stormtrooper. They did. Because... I understand marketing's behind this. Like, I don't, I obviously don't be, people don't have to kind of explain to me why they did it because I know why they did it. It just doesn't sit well with me in that I wanted to see them do more. Well, right. And here's the thing they shouldn't have marketed the Sith Trooper. That should have been a surprise. Right. If they had just been in the movie and they hadn't heavily marketed it, I think we would have been okay with it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, oh man, like, like it would have been like Boba Fett. Like, oh man, I wish we had mm -hmm. seen more, mm -hmm. you know? Like it wouldn't have been, but like it was the same thing with Captain Phasma and The Force Awakens. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, you could say Last Jedi, but I think they marketed her more in Force Awakens. Yes, because that's where it all started, and we met her, and then the whole interaction with her and and Finn or FN two one eight seven at that time. Right, but like you know, she wasn't really heavily featured in that movie. No, and I think John Boyega mentioned in an interview, which I was actually talking to my wife about this earlier, that. What was very, it kind of came out of nowhere. It came into my head and I just kind of yelled out loud and said, Where was the zero gravity battle? Do you remember him talking about that? No. There was an interview in which he said that initially that this was, a, you know, the war to end all wars, all out war. And then he also mentioned that it was really fun for him to do a, a, a zero G battle. And I thought, Well, that's interesting. I don't think we've seen that before. So is it in space? What, what's going on? Maybe they were on a Star Destroyer and they kind of, the, the gravity got turned off or something and they had to fight Stormtroopers in a Zero-G battle. Maybe that was cut. Maybe that was the Trevorrow thing, which we'll go into in the next episode. But I really was wondering, what is that going to be? And I was excited about that. And we got nothing related to that. I think I can find the clip for you and send it to you. But he mentioned that. And I don't know if he had a slip of the tongue and he, didn't, he meant like 
he meant something else and i kind of took it as a as a almost a space battle because you know would have been cool was to use the sith troopers there with like a jet trooper a sith jet trooper and have them flying around in space like you know in clone wars episodes and doing things with something like that like you know if there's a space battle and then all of a sudden this these red sith jet troopers are flying around outside of the actual star destroyer i mean like you know they did that but they were in atmosphere right do it in space too you know how we have the space battle we have the ground battle we have we have all the different things happening like in revenge of the sith right and so that i thought was going to be really cool and then they didn't do that or phantom menace don't forget the gungan battle oh yeah there you yeah and a lot of people had criticisms about that i remember when people were saying george there's too much going on people aren't going to be able to follow and i thought i don't know what they're talking about but apparently that was a criticism of that film that they couldn't stay focused on one thing like we had in a new hope was pretty simple then we had it really really complicated in return of the jedi where we had three different battles going on at the same time yeah and see like i don't know if it's just that i've watched all these other movies now but like a new hope can sometimes be boring i agree in some cases if you look at the the broad scope dude there are some people who that's the only one that they watch but you know that's fine if they love that and that's their favorite star wars that's that's great and i i have no qualms with that but understanding that fact it's not going to apply to everybody with the amount of content we have outside of just the star wars a new hope there there's just so much more going on which is why right. if you see seeing things like avengers infinity war or you see avengers endgame and you're you're just bombarded with all of this amazing you know, content, and you go back to something like this that they made in the late seventies. Right, it's not going to have the same kind of effect. But back then, that was that. Okay, so well, right. let me put it that's, this way: that's very true. Yes, Rise of Skywalker was their new hope. Right, in the seventies, so they had this incredible stuff they'd never seen before. And for us, with the amount of CGI and all the effects they did in Rise of Skywalker, it blew you away with with the picture quality and how it all was put together. Maybe not the storyline so much for some people, but how it visually looked. And that's the same, I think, what they had in, in 1977. And that's why some people really like that, because they were actually able to go see that in theaters, whereas you and I couldn't. Right. And that's why that's their favorite. And that's fantastic. And, you know, more power to them. I'm never going to trash them for that because I love the film, but it's not my top favorite. No, it's not. Not even close. But like, even like, look at Empire, like, look at Return of the Jedi. And I, I, I know they were different years and stuff, but like, you know, it's just such a, like, there's so much more going on in those other two movies. There's no doubt that they ramped up the, the amount of action in the sequels. Well, of course. I mean, you know, the definition of sequel is bigger and better. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a worry for a lot of people, especially back in the 70s and 80s. Like, is this going to top A New Hope? Or back then it was just called the Star Wars. Right. You know, and, and, and what about Return of the Jedi? Like, is, is this actually going to come to a full close or how are they going to... They, they had the same kind of questions that we had for Rise of Skywalker. I love that picture. I know I sent it to you, or at least I tagged you in Facebook on it. It's like a guy sitting at his computer... And it's like, what if Return of the Jedi had come out Yes, today? And it was like, oh my god, Palpatine shows up with no explanation and blah, blah, blah. This is terrible. 
what, what are these Ewoks? Are they trying to sell toys to the kids or whatever? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, and it's like all this shit that's like, well, yep. Exactly. People don't change. It's the exact same thing. And I think if you could go back and time travel to, to back before we were both born, uh, they would have the same kind of questions, except they did not have the internet. And they didn't have podcasts and they didn't have... Yes. So it wasn't... If you were talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, you could probably get the same kind of interaction that we're having. However, they couldn't spread it and widely disseminate it as we can today. So the last thing that I felt like at the moment that I can think of off the top of my head that I would like to have seen or heard is the um, some extra voices when the whole big crew of all the, the help that the Resistance got came in with all the ship. Yes. Like Jason, Jason from Rebels as an adult at that point. Mm -hmm. And Hera. I, I mean, if I didn't hear Jason, that I'd be okay. But I wanted to hear Hera, maybe Sabine. So many missed opportunities. Well, Sabine's off looking for Ezra. Okay. And if they've threw in Ezra being back uh, with Ahsoka on, on one of the ships or something, just to hear their voice and having that whole thing that we've heard in the original old trilogy with the Red Five standing by, Blue Leader standing by, and then having them saying that, you know, Phoenix Squadron, Phoenix Leader standing by, and that would be Hera, and just have that kind of conglomerate of people to where it's like, oh, ev literally everybody's here. Not just these ships that, that they just decided, okay, we're going to throw this in because it was from a video game back in the 90s. Let's throw that ship in too. Wait, that was in there? Oh, there's so much in there. I can't even, I know someone has analyzed it, but it's just, there's, there's so much in there that's from even like Old Republic. Are you talking about the thing I think you're talking about? What thing? The Outrider? That's there too, apparently. Dash Rendar? Seriously? Yeah, there's everything in there. Where did I miss that? I love him. Everything in the kitchen sink is thrown in here, except for what I would have liked to hear people there. Jason. You keep saying Jason. Screw Jason. Hera. Dude, <laughs> come on. Like, that's a callback to the old expanded universe. That's why I'm, I keep saying that. Well, the expanded universe, you know, is, as of right now, still Legends. Well, right, but it's slowly bleeding into canon. Yeah, but I would have liked that connection to Rebels. So maybe even Chopper making some stupid noise over the intercom. That would be cool. <laughs> and the last thing that I wanted to mention, and that's something that I held over from yesterday's conversation, is that when we see the film again, whenever you do, if you go see it in theaters or we wait till the Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure most of my theaters, it's almost done so i probably won't see it again in theaters so we need to pay very very close attention to mm -hmm. the little i'm going to call it a treehouse because it seems like a little one where ray is reading the jedi texts at the beginning of the film okay and that one character whoever she is runs up and says the falcon's back and then she closes yeah. her books and leaves in that little uh dugout she has there whatever you want to call it where she has all her stuff yeah. In the background, apparently some people have noticed that she is making her own lightsaber, not the reforged one. Really? But she's she's making something there and there's a and there's a yellow kyber crystal there. Really? Yes. And so if that is indeed there, then we have all missed it and not even gone cuz everyone's going, where did she get the kyber crystal from? How did she make the lightsaber? We never saw it on camera. Maybe we did and we missed it. 
Yeah. And so I think that's what I heard. So where would she have gotten the kyber crystal from? I don't know. Maybe that's some uh, expanded content from the novelization that Ray Carson's working on that will be out this spring. I pre-ordered it, did I tell you? Do I even have to tell me we both pre-ordered it? Well, no, but like I generally tend to go to Barnes & Noble the first day and actually buy it, but I decided not to, and I just pre-ordered it this time. Did you order it from Barnes & Noble? Now Amazon. Oh, see, mine's from Barnes & Noble because I like the cover. So I don't know where she got that kyber crystal from, but it, ex- it, it, it gives the creators and the writers and the artists plenty of room and content to work with for future stuff. So that's all I have. Um, but that's something that I definitely want to look more at. And, and uh, it's obviously not in the visual dictionary. So it's something that's very, very small Easter egg. Are we mad at the visual dictionary? I'm not. For not explaining anything about Palpatine? I think that's on purpose. Well, I know it's on purpose. I'm not a dummy. There's two different ways to look at this. Either it's on purpose because the whole idea of Palpatine came in later than we think it actually did, or... I don't like to think that. Or it's not in there because they want to explain it further with their new project, Luminous, coming up. Right. Well, I was going to say, do you do you think we'll get like a comic book or a novel or something? like? I think there will be strong connections with Baby Yoda and how the Force can work to where if the dark side manipulates it, you can actually bring yourself back in a different form. Hmm. Or maybe in the same kind of form, because it doesn't explain everything like you said, but maybe we don't have to have everything down pat explained. Maybe that's part of that mystery that J.J. wanted. No, I don't really want everything explained, but like I just how he quote unquote survived would be good for me. You know, like, I mean, he, he blew up. Right. Well, there was that there's that theory that that blue fire looking thing from that is the same as the one from Rebels where he's doing some kind of Sith magic and mm. that's part of, of his essence. And so that was transferred into Vader's mask. And then now Kylo has Vader's mask. And who knows? There's all that kind of a question is the same question that people have was how the hell did he broadcast his essentially message of doom to the entire galaxy from Exegol? Well he did it in Fortnite. <laughs> that's another really Weird thing. I guess Fortnite's canon now. I have no idea. Yeah, right? Like, that's what that's the part I didn't understand. So, I don't, that's another thing where people are wondering, how did he do that? And, and if that's the case and he did it in kind of way, why is it that we have to wait till 20, 25 minutes into the film for Poe to say, you know, Palpatine is back? If they already heard it and the whole galaxy heard it, then why we have to have it explained again to us by a character in the film? You know, so there's, there's little things here and there that, for many people aren't little things they're big things and they're reasons why they don't like the film and i can understand that but i just don't want to i don't fit into that group right oh here it is yeah it wasn't even that long the message have you have you heard the message i have it wasn't long at all no i had definitely heard it yeah because it's on youtube so i think so right can i say it real quick do you mind sure go ahead at last the work of generations is complete the great error is corrected. The day of victory is at hand. The day of revenge. The day of the Sith. Yeah, that's not long at all. Okay, so I, I, I already on the outset, because I only heard it once, but now so I listened to the what you said, and I already have questions and problems. Who is he having revenge with? Right. 
like the Skywalker family, okay, but then why? But Luke's already dead. Okay, but okay, let's just let's just spitball here and say he's talking about Leia and he's talking about uh, Ben and, and and okay, let's just say that's what it is. Then why does the rest? What's the rest of the galaxy have to do with this? Right. You know, like what what is his revenge over? My next question is. If he's saying this, what does he mean by the great error? What error? That he died? Or what What are we talking about? Well, duh. That's obviously an error. Isn't everyone going to think that? The error that Death Star got exploded again and they weren't able to protect their own emperor? I, <laughs> what is it? I, I, I have so many questions. Even um, General Pride says something about starting to correct the error of Starkiller Base in the film. The Sith Legion was because they lost all sorts of soldiers on Starkiller Base. That that I got. That right. I understood. So there's something. There's more questions that comes out of that broadcast. I just think it's weird. Like from a story perspective, I think it was a little strange that the Sith has always been, you know, like the two people, like the rule of two, and like they've always been, you know, kind of like the Jedi. Like they've been these mythic people and yada 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 and now there's like this whole sith like i know they're not force sensitive or whatever but like you know now it's like this whole army that they're calling the sith legion and you know like i just i I thought that was a turnaround like i thought that was kind of weird yeah i think it was explained a little bit in somewhere i forgot where i read it but somewhere where essentially exegol is like you know like that big sith temple that palpatine was in all the Sith loyalists, the Sith troopers, all the the officers that were like the Sith Legion, all of those people, since they were born, and it was essentially like having your own culture or I guess subgroup of individuals that have almost like a cult, okay? So where you have people who are having children and these children being raised and brainwashed to have this particular idea and pull to the dark side and all that. And then they're, of course, adults now, and now they've been completely indoctrinated into being essentially Palpatines or the Sith's loyalists. And so that's who's manning all these Star Destroyers. That's who's who all the Sith troopers are. Like it, it was a, right. more of an explanation of like, they didn't just come out of nowhere. They were people that like, for example, the First Order harvested children from different worlds and then trained them to be this way, like they did with the Stormtroopers for the First Order. Like that's kind of like how it all ties into it. It's, it's a very nebulous like understanding of it because it's not concrete, but I can, I can see where there's some wiggle room for someone to like I'm doing right now, explain where all these people came from and who they are and why we just heard about them now. All right. Like I just, I think calling it the final order was better than like Sith troopers and stuff. I was hoping that there would be something about something order because order 66, we had the first order and now it's like, okay, the final order is a nice connection to the first and the final. Right. But like just the fact that they threw the name Sith in there, it just kind of, I don't know. It's an odd choice for me. And one thing that I've heard a lot of um, folks talk about on different podcasts and online is that it also did, you know, when I initially watched the film, it didn't, it didn't really bother me until I actually kind of listened to, well, wait, what's this problem? Um, all six times that I've seen the film, it wasn't more of a, why is this happening? But what I'm getting at is, why is there a, how many, it's 16 hours or something before all the worlds are being attacked or, or blown up. Mm. By. Yeah. So why is there that time gap? Like, what is he waiting for? Is he waiting for Ray to get there so that he can become 
one with her and Empress Empress Palpatine will rule. Like, what is he waiting for in order to deploy the fleet? Well, there's always a timeline. But why? I mean, if you're like, you're a bear. To give the heroes time to get to Exegol. So it's the exposition of the actual plot. It is. But in real life, who the hell would wait? It'd be like, it'd be like Hitler waiting and being like, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to go attack you in 16 hours. So if you got to do anything in the meantime, you want to go pick up a pizza or get some wine, go ahead and do that. Because at the end of that, you're going to be obliterated. Well, yeah, he did that. Yeah, he totally did that. He let everybody know. He did. Everyone knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> it was, it's just those. And it happened things. on 24 every season. It was like, ooh, the nuclear bomb is going to go off 16 episodes from now. I mean, 16 hours from now. So, you know, Kiefer Sutherland has to run around and save everybody. Yeah, I understand why it was done from a storytelling perspective. But it does, it does have some issues with, you know, when we're looking at it from our perspective, not a mm-hmm. story perspective. You're going, why right. did somebody wait and give the opposition an opportunity to stop it? You know? Well, and then the other thing that stood out to me kind of along those lines was when Ben was redeemed and it was that scene with pride and the hologram of the emperor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he goes, the princess of Alderaan has ruined my plans or whatever he says. Like, why did he say the princess of Alderaan? I don't know why, but I'm glad that he did. Well, no, like it, I, I liked it, but like it just it really stood out to me. Like as a why did he say this? Like, and it's funny because, again, being a Star Wars apologist, I like that. Can we get T-shirts? Sure. Like it'll have the Star Wars logo, and then where it puts the movie title, it can be like apologists. It can be like our religion. Sounds good to me. Okay, so why he would call her that? Well, it reminds me of, and I know, obviously, when you see the film for the first time, you don't know this. It reminds me of The Empire Strikes Back. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like it's he's talking to Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, why? I, 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 like, I, I know it was like a mystery thing, and then... When you add the prequels in, there's less of a mystery. And if you've seen the movie 18,000 times, obviously you already know. Like, it's just a strange wording. But again, I can think of, like, you know, the Princess of Alderaan. It just kind of reminds me of him saying the son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's definitely, you know, he talks like that. Well, I think it's a good parallel then, like what you said to that. Exactly. But it still it, it stood out to me, not necessarily in a bad way, but it definitely stood out. Like it's it's something that I remembered. Yes, it's similar, but it's not exactly the same. And I think that it was nice that it, it was that line was spoken that way because it would have been. I mean, I can't see him saying Leia or that's true, General Organa. It just doesn't make any sense coming from his mouth. The Princess of Alderaan. That makes more sense coming from Palpatine. So I did, I did like that. And then, of course, uh, you know, Richard E. Grant as General Pride being somebody who would have served him in the old wars. As I have served you in the old wars, I serve you now. He seemed a lot more Tarkin-like than, than Hux did to me. Yes, yes. Well, that's because Hux was a rebel spy. Yeah, I don't know when that happened. When did he decide to be... Honestly, after the Battle of Crete. That's probably true, after Kylo threw him against a wall. 
After Kylo threw him against the wall, he was like, you know what? I'm not putting up with this shit anymore. So for, I don't know what we're going to do for our next episode, but there's plenty of content for us to use, especially all the stuff coming up. Well, a future episode will be a kind of a preview for the Clone Wars season seven. Our intent is to have that episode up before it goes streaming in a little less than a month. So that should totally be doable. But yeah, I mean, like you said, there's plenty of content for us to do. So yeah, we won't we won't be lacking for episodes. So until next time, I'm Dennis and I'm David and may the force be with you always. We would love to hear from you about your thoughts and opinions surrounding the final film of the Skywalker saga. As part of the fandom, we know that there are many different points of view when it comes to Star Wars, especially the rise of Skywalker. So what were your favorite moments from Episode 9? What did you dislike about it, if anything at all? What would you have done differently if you had the reins of Lucasfilm? Did you have similar thoughts as we did? Opinions abound, and we welcome them. All of us can have disagreements or differences of opinion, and that's okay, as long as they remain civil within discussions and conversations, because diversity in the fandom is our strength, and we wholeheartedly believe that Star Wars is unique and personal to each individual. It can be subjective, but still meaningful in more ways than one. So let us know what your thoughts are, and we may feature them in an upcoming episode segment. You can send us an email at dmdp at jawajabber.com. That's D as in droid, M as in Mustafar, D again as in dyad, and P as in Padawan. dmdp at jawajabber.com. Or message us on our Twitter page at www.twitter.com slash jawajabber. Our Twitter handle is at jabberingjawas. We will also be launching our Facebook and Instagram pages very soon where you can interact with us see some really fun content, and get your weekly dose of laughter from some ideas we have in store and will be posting on a regular basis. Also, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page when it becomes available, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news. If you have a moment, drop us a review and let us know how we're doing so we can make the show even better. We want to bring the best quality and content to you, our listeners, by putting our whole hearts into Jawa Jabber to make it one of the best Star Wars podcasts out there. But that can't happen without hearing from all of you. Until next time, thank you for tuning in on Utini Radio. Utini! And remember, the Force will be with you, always. Jabber, a Star Wars podcast, is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names, sounds, and all Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and the respective trademark and copyright holders, unless otherwise indicated. Jawa Jabber, broadcasting exclusively on Utini Radio.